أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الرحمن أنما القرآن خلق الإنسان علمه البيان الشمس والقمر بحسبان والجنجم والشجر يسجدان والسماء رفعها وبدأ الميزان ألا تطغوا في الميزان وأقيم الوزن بالقسط ولا تشر الميزان والأرض وضعها للأنام فيها فاكهة ونخل ذات الأكمام والحب ذو الأسف والريحان فبأي آلاء ربكما تكذبان سلك الله عليه This is Surah Rahman and Surah Rahman and Surah Waqiyah which is coming after it are two of the most often recited, celebrated, beloved surahs of Qur'an al-Kareem. Surah Rahman is most famous for this which occurs 31 times in the surah and that means that which of the favors of your Rabb will you deny, O both humanity and jinn? This is the only surah where Allah SWT has so explicitly and repeatedly joined humanity and jinn together. And there are several reasons for that. The first reason is that this surah is a Makki surah and it was revealed on this night called Laylatul Jinn about which in the hadith there's a long discussion about when that night was. And then Sayyidina Rasulullah Wasallam, he came out to Masjid Nabui and he recited this entire surah in entirety to the Sahaba Ikram. So that is another fazilat of the surah, that the whole surah was recited together. There are no ayat, and then some ayat later, some makki, some madni. This surah was revealed by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to the Prophet kul an jam'an, in one collective, in one set. And Sayyidina Rasulullah, the first time he recited it, he recited it out loud to the Sahaba, all together in one set. There's a Alama Jalaluddin Asyuti Rimalatala has written one of the most important books on what is called Ulum al Quran called Al Itkan and in that he has quoted a hadith on the authority of Imam Behaqi that Sayyidina Rasulullah called the Surah Urus al Quran and whether that hadith is of the soundest of chain but nonetheless the Mufassirin have agreed that in meaning this is correct Urus means the bride the decorated, adorned bride. So that Surah Rahman is the decorated and adorned bride of Qur'an. One is because of its poetry. One is because of this repetition of And another is because of its important, uh, important topics that Allah SWT has mentioned in this Surah. Al-Rahman. So the first thing is that Allah SWT here Another thing is that in Hadith Sayyidina Rasulullah said that Allah Subhanahu will himself recite Surah Rahman to the Ahlul Jannah. Allah Subhanahu will himself recite Surah Rahman to the Ahlul Jannah and there are many hadith that discuss this issue. Allah Subhanahu will call all of the Ahlul Jannah to a lake, a body of water, and then he will ask all of them to sit and recline on couches. And then he will manifest himself to them in his jamal, 
and they will get their ru'ya and the vision of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that whole gathering will begin before they get to gaze upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala himself will recite the surah, surah al-Rahman. So the very first word in the surah itself is al-Rahman. So the surah is named after this. And this is the master attribute of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim also there after Ismi Azim Ismi Zat Allah The first sifat, the first asmal husnan that Allah subhanahu wa mentioned is ar-Rahman So this is the master attribute that Allah subhanahu wa possesses all mercy And if any, if there's any ever been an expression of Allah subhanahu wa infinite mercy It is in the surah even the surah cannot express and contain all of the infinite limitless mercy of Allah subhanahu wa But if any expression could be made of that and Allah subhanahu wa could make the best of expressions in his kalam, in his speech. So this is, uh, this surah is the mention of that. Sayyidina Rasulullah, he also mentioned once in a hadith that Allah subhanahu has 100 aspects to his mercy. And only one aspect of that mercy has been revealed on earth. And the other 99 aspects of that mercy will be used by Allah subhanahu on the day of judgment. And by means of that 99 aspects of his mercy of Ar-Rahman, the people will be able to go into Jannah. Then Allah subhanahu mentioned Allah al-Quran. That Allah subhanahu Ar-Rahman, so the sifat of Ar-Rahman, Allahu Rahman, what, who is that all-merciful Allah subhanahu wa Allah al-Quran, he is that being who taught humanity Quran. So this means that the ibtida of Allah ta'ala's rahmah, the beginning of his rahmah is Quran, the source of all of his rahmah is Quran, the flowing of all of his rahmah emanates from his Quran. Allama means that Allah subhanahu wa taught means bestowed ilm of Qur'an. So here Allah subhanahu wa could have said that he recited Qur'an. He could have said revealed Qur'an as we have many places of the ayah start with tanzil. So it's clear here that the, epit- the epitome of Allah Ta'ala's mercy lies in the ilm of Qur'an. Not just the nuzul or tanzil of Qur'an. Not just kirat al-Qur'an. Not our own recitation or the Prophet's recitation or Jibreel's recitation or even Allah's recitation. The real Rahmah of Allah subhanahu wa is in the knowledge that is contained in Qur'an al-Karim. And this is why in Hadith in Sahih Bukhari, Sayyidina Rasulullah said, خَيْرُكُمْ مَنْ تَعَلَّمَ الْقُرْآنَ وَعَلَّمَ That the best of you is the one who learns Qur'an. But here again the word is تَعَلَّمَ وَعَلَّمَ And who teaches Qur'an. This Hadith in Sahih Bukhari, although many people quote it, Unfortunately, they quote it in a way that is clearly against its language. This hadith is making it clear that ta'allum in ta'lim, the ilm of Qur'an is something that has to be taught and learnt. This hadith and this ayah make it clear that you cannot just read Qur'an or read translation or research tafsir on your own. That would be talawat and kira'at. Allah Ta'ala is talking about Allama, Allaman, Allah SWT is teaching that Qur'an. The hadith in Sahih Bukhari makes it clear that that will be through ta'allum and ta'lim. Ta'allum is the student ta'allama. The best of you is the one who sits as a student to acquire ilm of Qur'an. And the best of you is Allama and the one who teaches that Qur'an on the basis of ilm. Means that this Qur'an and Sunnah established clearly. Contrary to a very wide popular misconception that the ilm of Qur'an must be learned and taught by a student of ilm and by a scholar of ilm. 
And this is what Sayyidina Rasulullah said. So this hadith will only apply to those people who are engaged in ta'allum and ta'lim. This Qur'an al-Karim is <coughs> the kalam of Allah SWT, the biggest ni'mah of Allah SWT. And here Al-Rahman Allam al-Qur'an, Allah Ta'ala mentions this even before khalaq al-insan, before he mentions humanity, and jinn are also addressed here. So actually Allah SWT has taught that Qur'an to Sayyidina Rasulullah Wasallam, and through Sayyidina Rasulullah Wasallam to all of insan and jinn, and those are the two prime aspects of creation, because out of all of Allah SWT's vast creation, there are only two members of his creation who is given freedom to believe and freedom to disbelieve freedom to obey freedom to disobey freedom to worship and freedom to neglect and those are the insan and the jinn so because the Quran al-Kareem Allah's mercy is that he has taught Quran as how to teaches us how to exercise that freedom so then Allah subhanahu mentions khalaq al-insan that Allah subhanahu created all of humanity Allah SWT created humanity, so it means that Qur'an, the rupt between verses 2 and 3, is that Qur'an was created for insan, and insan was created for insan. It means the Qur'an was created for us, and we were created for it. The Qur'an is Allah Ta'ala's mercy, so that means we were created out of Allah Ta'ala's mercy, and we were created for His mercy. Even just these three words, Rahman, Qur'an, insan, have the whole khulasa of our life. His entire reality and ultimate reality of the entire universe, our life, our being, our existence, can be in these three words. Allamahul Bayan. And then Allah Ta'ala says that He taught humanity Al Bayan. Bayan means expression. That can be expression in speech, or that can be expression in writing, that can be expression in feeling. There are infinite ways that insan is able to express itself. The foremost way of bayan is kalam, but bayan is am, it includes any other type of expression. So here the rough between this is that Allah subhanahu wa taught us Qur'an, made that Qur'an for insan, made insan for Qur'an, and then Allah Ta'ala Himself taught humanity how to express that Qur'an in their life, how to express the mercy of Rahman in their life, how to live a life according to the fact that they are Ibad al-Rahman, they are the servants and slaves of al-Rahman, and how to express that Qur'an. So it means that every single aspect, the real purpose of insan that is bayan al-Qur'an, is insan is meant to be the creative embodiment and manifestation and expression and testament to Qur'an. So this is also a mercy of Allah SWT that He has sent on each and every one of us. This expression of Qur'an can also be a continuation of the ilm so that a person continually expresses Qur'an Alhamdulillah Allah SWT has blessed this ummah with ulama of Qur'an who are known as Mufassirun and for the vast majority of Islamic history for about 1380 or 1390 of our 1430 years all of the ibayan of Qur'an was done by the ulama of Qur'an and here we have given you a very, very light and a brief commentary. 
But if you were to look at the massive encyclopedic works that the Mufassirun, mashallah, have written, whether it's at Tafsir al-Kabir by Imam al-Razi, or the Tafsir by Imam al-Tabri, massive, massive Anwar al-Tanzil by Imam al-Bidawi, massive volumes. And you can see there the power that Allah SWT has given human expression. In fact, some ulama have felt that the greatest expression of human knowledge is going to be that knowledge that is coming from and based on and about Qur'an al-Karim. That Allah al-Qur'an doesn't mean several things in terms of Allah Ta'ala's teaching us in terms of our bayan of that Qur'an. Number one, it means the wordings of Qur'an and this is known as ilm al-tajweed wal In fact, even before that I will say it's the ilm of the script of Qur'an which is known as ilm al-rasm al-khat and you would see if you knew Arabic that Allah Ta'ala has sometimes had the Qur'an al-Karim written in an unusual script. For example, let's just take Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Normally in Arabic you would write Ba Alif, even if the Hamza is Wasli, you would write that Alif and then you would write the scene. But the Rasmul Khat, Khas Rasmul Khat of Qur'an, as it exists in Musafi Uthmani and has been continued onto this generation, is that the Ba is linked with the scene and the Hamza is not even indicated by the Alif. So that's the first ilm of Qur'an, ilm al-rasm al-khat. Second is the ilm of the writing and script of Qur'an. Second is ilm al-tajweed wal-qira'ah, which is ilm of the wordings of Qur'an. Tajweed can be at the most basic level, which is simply how to pronounce the Qur'an correctly, its letters for an average Muslim. But ilm al-tajweed wal-qira'ah also means that one of the mu'jizat of the Qur'an, one of its miracles is that there are slightly different qira'at styles of recitation in which Allah subhanahu wa has embedded yet further meanings into Qur'an that certain few words and ayat can be recited in slightly different ways. The vast majority of those ways actually many times don't even affect meaning, but even sometimes Allah Ta'ala has placed multiple nuances in that, again from Surah Al-Fatih, so we have Maliki Yomidin and Maliki Yomidin, now Master of the Day of Judgment, Owner of the Day of Judgment. Slight different nuance, Allah Ta'ala has embedded that also in Quran, and Alhamdulillah Allah Ta'ala has blessed this Ummah with a lot of Ulama of Tajweed, Ulama of Kira'a, and still to this day they are teaching that ilm. Then the third thing, so after the script and after the wordings, the third thing is the meanings of Qur'an. That I already explained to you, that is known as ilm tafsir and that is a long tradition. And the fourth thing is the feelings of Qur'an, ahwal al-Qur'an, ma'arif al-Qur'an, kifiyat al-Qur'an. And that is the field of the ulama of tazkiyah and ahsan, the awliyaullah, the siddiqeen and sadiqeen. And Allah subhanahu has blessed a lot of ulama in this ummah with that ilm as well. So all of this is part of the bayan of Qur'an al-Karim. So that means in the, uh, that hadith that the best of you is the one who acquires ilm or teaches the ilm of Qur'an can apply to Rasmul Khat, can apply to Tajweed, can apply to Qiraat, can apply to Tafsir and also can apply to those teachings that, of Tazkiyah and Asan that enable a person to feel the feelings of Qur'an. Then after mentioning these three most important I, uh, these four important ayat Al-Rahman, Allam Al-Quran, Khalaq Al-Insan, Allam Al-Bayan And really one could talk even more about those four ayat Then Allah SWT makes a shift and He talks about His other members of creation Al-Shamsu Wal-Qamru Bihusban So first Allah SWT mentions And the sun and the moon, they're Bihusban Husban, now there are many different ways you can translate this in English. They follow calculated courses. They are bound 
to a particular orbit, what it means is that they are following a hisab. And the most important thing is they are following a course from which there is no deviation. They never deviate whatsoever. They are purely on that orbit. They are on that hisab. And then Allah mentions the second in verse number six. Second aspect of najmu wa shajru yasjudan. So the Mufassirin have written that verse five is kinaya for all the a'la khalq, all of that khalq which is beyond and trans- beyond and above this earth. And verse number six, Allah Taala has given a kinaya for all of the asfal khalq, all of the creation that lies on this earth. And in that there are two things that are mentioned: wa najmu wa shajru. Now how to translate Najm is also many ulama have taken different positions of this but the important thing for you to know is that Najm uh, does not mean star as sometimes it normally does mean in Quran. Najm basically means vine or grass and Shajr obviously means tree. Vine or grass or the creeping vine or the flowing grass this is to indicate that creation on earth that has no trunk, has no spine, has no skeleton, has no root, has no base. And shudder is to denote all of the plant and veg- vegetable world that has a trunk, so trees and all other such plant life that have a trunk, that have roots, that have a base. And all of this, again, Allah wants to say, yes, Judan. Now, yes, Judan can be taken literally, that it means in a literal sense that they're making sajda. But here it means, yes, Judan also, and perhaps more so means, that they're metaphorically submitting to Allah's Taala's commands. It means just like the sun and the moon follow fixed orbits, the way a tree grows, the way it gives fruits, the way it has leaves, it sheds its leaves, its leaves turn color in fall and autumn, it sheds its leaves in the winter, it grows its leaves again. All of that is also from a hisab that Allah Taala has created. And then to entirely mention this whole hisab and this whole system and this whole framework in which every single creation is 100% complying with its role in that system and framework then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was al-mizan, and then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions the sky and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is that being who raised the sky high al-mizan, and he established and set down the mizan so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala raised the sky the heaven the firmament and he established the mizan what does that mean, the Mizan? So he's raised the sky and he has set the Mizan. Mizan here doesn't, it could mean just the scale, and some will translate it like that. It means scales of justice. But that is coming in a little bit. Here, Mizan means the whole physical nature of creation. Like you say, everything works like clockwork. The entire framework, everything in creation is following its hisab. The seasons will alternate, the alternating of night and day, the courses and orbits of the sun and moon, the animals, the birds. Every single aspect of creation is in that mizan. mizan. So, and then Allah Ta'ala now addresses humanity after mentioning that mizan, that every single thing is being done. Then Allah Ta'ala says that now you, O insan, so all of this was done so that you would establish the wasn bilqist, you would establish that justice, 
Bilkis, you would establish that justice with fairness and you would not overstep that balance or you would not let that balance give short measure you would not have any violation and the khusr is a sense of law so it means you would not undercut or you would not shortcut you would not let the scale give short measure or be deficient in weighing it here then what is Allah subhanahu wa saying the notion is that every single thing in the universe is following this mizan oh insan is it just you who wants to break this mizan is it only you who cannot keep this iqama, cannot keep this wazan wil qist, cannot keep this structure barqarar, keep this structure perpetual on justice and fairness and equity? And yes, one aspect of that is literally the scales of weighing and things that we have because at that time and for the vast majority of human history, people have negotiated or traded on a barter system where things were sold based on kale and wasn and quantity and weight and measurement and so yes Allah does also literally mean that here that you should weigh the scales justly when you exchange goods but there's a deeper meaning of the ayah here and that means that any single thing that any insan does should be done and should be placed on a wasn and should be done bilqist means everything should be done justly equitably Fairly, and the opposite of this is tatfif, and that's coming at the end, towards the end of Quran, mutaffifin. And tatfif is the opposite of qist. Tatfif means to be unfair and unjust and unequitable. So qist would also mean, in terms of marital relations, to be a husband in the proper, just, equitable, fair manner, to be a wife in the proper, just, equitable, fair manner. Parents, children, teachers, students, citizen, ruler, every single aspect of humanity and our relations with our fellow humanity, all of that can fall in this wasn't. And that is the notion that above when Allah mentioned all of the other aspects of creation, that all of creation is individually falling its mizan and is harmonious with one another. No planet is colliding with another planet leaving its orbit. Everything is in absolute harmony. So, oh insan, is it just you who wants to disrupt this absolutely perfect, flawless, miraculous harmony that Allah Ta'ala has put in creation? So, no, actually, we are supposed to use our free will to do this. We should keep it. So, the mizan is set, right? Maintain it. Maintain it, establish it, and establish yourself upon it. How will you do that? So you can take Ba as Sababiya as well. Bil Kist by being a person of Kist and justice and equity, that insan will not disrupt and will not spoil, will not be a blemish on this perfect creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And how is that going to happen? The same thing that Allah Ta'ala mentioned on top. Allah al-Qur'an, khalaq al-insan, Allah al-bayan. Through learning Qur'an and then being a living bayan of that Qur'an, that is the way that insan is going to be able to establish this wazan with qist. And then they should not, wala tukhsirul mizan, that you should not be deficient in, in, in the slightest. You should not let the scale, uh, not, let, not give short measure in any way whatsoever to that scale. And now when Allah SWT mentioned the Sama, this is often the practice of Allah SWT to mention Sama and to mention Ard. And here Allah SWT is saying about the earth, <coughs> as for the earth, Allah SWT Allah has placed the earth for Anam for populous. 
and the populous population means all of his creatures. This includes his human creatures, includes animal creatures. Allah Ta'ala has set out the earth. And here every ayah, by the way, is Ar-Rahman, is Maduf, is embedded in there. It means Ar-Rahman, Wada'aha, Wada'a means the file of Wada'a is Ar-Rahman. And the earth, Ar-Rahman, has set it for his creatures. And the sky, Ar-Rahman, has raised it up. And Quran Ar-Rahman has taught it. Insan Ar-Rahman has created it. Al-Bayan Ar-Rahman taught Insan it. So Ar-Rahman is connected to each and every one of these ayat in terms of the Arabic grammar. So it means that each and every single things, each and every single one of these things has been done by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala out of His sifat of being Ar-Rahman, out of His infinite mercy, infinite and endless and limitless mercy. Then Allah SWT mentions an attribute of this earth and the first thing is that in that earth there is fruit therein. So faqiha. This is viewed for the perspective of insan, the most greatest bounty, more than the oil that he has put underground, more than anything else. Now Allah Ta'ala's most noble blessing that he has put on earth for insan is the fruits of this earth. And yes, it literally means the fruits of the trees, uh, although some can take it metaphorically to refer to any type of fruit, but here it means the fruit of the trees. So on this earth there is fruit. Second one, Nakhlu. Nakhlu refers to the date palm tree. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has also set date palms, and again this is viewed from within the fruits to be the king of fruits, unlike Pakistani marketing say that mango is the king of fruit. So in Quran sense, the king of fruit is the date. And so this is the khas. And this is something, another pattern of Allah Ta'ala's aspect in Quran. The dhikrul khas about the am that when Allah Ta'ala's mentioned the entire category of fruits, then mentions the khas, a khas al-khawas, paqiha, which is dates. And that is also from al-Rahman. That is also from the mercy of Allah Ta'ala. That al-akman. That al-akman means fruits that are sheathed in their stalks or you can say they're sometimes sheathed in their skin in many different ways but the notion is that the fruit is protected and put into a sheath Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has done that in order to protect the fruit it's one of the nobility of the creations of fruit many fruit and in fact there is use for those skins and peels of fruit many times as well whether that is given to livestock or animals or to other types of creation and then on verse number 12 now hub literally it here means seed but it's referring to the specific seeds or kernels of what we will call grains and cereals right the cereal grains which can mean wheat and barley etc and these are very small things but they have so much barakah in them and you would say all over the world every community in terms of its food either has roti or has chawal or has barley or has some grain or pasta has some grain cereal based grain uh, grain based cereal from which they eat so that is also Allah SWT is mentioning that this is part of his merciful creation as Ar-Rahman that he placed this in the earth and he placed this for Anam he placed these things in the earth for all of his creatures and creation well Asfi wal Rehan and well <coughs> Well, asfi means basically you can say like the husk 
or the shaft of those grains, which means that that also many times, just like the fruit is inside a skin, the grain is inside a shaft, the grain is consumed by insan, the shaft is used for the other anam, means it's used for livestock and animal, animal what you call chara, the animal fodder, is many times made of the shaft or... Uh, you know, that, I think that's the best English word for that. The shaft or the stalks that are around the grain. And then the last thing here is about rehan. And rehan is sometimes translated in several different ways. Uh, there are two ways it's often translated. One is fragrant flowers. Uh, one is fragrant flowers. And second is that rehan can also mean in uh, Sayyidina Abdullah ibn Abbas, for the known his tafsir ibn Abbas, the earliest tafsir of a sahaba, he said that rehan meant simply sustenance. It meant rather nourishment. Risk would be the word you would use for sustenance. Rehan is the word we would use specifically for that nourishment that uh, goes inside of our body. So you can translate Rehan either way that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala put as well fragrant flowers on this earth or that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has put nourishment on this earth as well. So then here Allah subhanahu wa addresses and of which and any which one of them Allah means ni'mas Allah means blessings and bounties of Allah subhanahu wa So this kuma is actually the tathniya is the dual so literally it means in which of the bounties and blessings O mankind and jinn of your two's rub to kaziban, can any of the two of you, because this is also tathniya, can any of the two of you deny? So here this is what I had mentioned to you that this is where Allah SWT is addressing the mm, humans and jinns together. And this I've already explained to you that they're both mukallaf of Allah subhanahu but the notion here is that Allah subhanahu has sent his rahmah and his mercy onto the jinn as well. This is something the commentators have tried to address that every single ni'mah that Allah Ta'ala mentions in Surah Rahman or generally speaking every single bounty and blessing of Allah subhanahu ta'ala do the jinn benefit from all of these as well because when Allah Ta'ala is saying tukadziban that do you human and jinn falsify or deny or betray any of these suggest that the jinn are benefiting from all of this as well and that goes back to something I mentioned to you earlier that will the jinn go into Jannah so when you look at Surah Al-Rahman the feeling and suggestion but Allah knows best is that yes in some sense in a way that is known only to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and perhaps obviously to the jinn they're also benefiting from the fruits and from the date palms and from the grains, cereals and etc etc but in a way that may be unknown to us and unseen to us and in their own way and then once Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has now the first of the, as I mentioned to you, 31 times that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to say this, then Allah ta'ala spends two ayahs, one each, mentioning insan and jinn. The, who are those two who are in the kuma? Who are those two who are in the alif of tukadziban? So that is insan and jinn. So in verse 14, خَلَقَ insana min salsalin so here Allah subhanahu wa mentions, his, and this is a brief allusion, otherwise Allah ta'ala has in detail in other places of Qur'an, which we've even many of them we've already done with you, <coughs> is uh, talk about his 
uh, had the, the creation of insan, how insan was created. Here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala just says that Khalaq al-insan and again the file of this, the subject of this is Ar-Rahman. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the all-merciful Ar-Rahman is that being who created insan from clay. This we have mentioned to you before that sometimes it's from teen, sometimes min salsal. So all of this means Allah Ta'ala created insan from the elements of this earth. And then literally then Allah Ta'ala took those elements, magnesium, calcium, etc., etc. And then formed this dancha or this mold called insan. Which is the calcium in your bones and all of these other minerals and vitamins that you have. And this is what is being mentioned really here in salsal. So it's a notion of a mold. Almost like this word is something that you would use for the potter. So the potter when he takes his clay and then the potter shapes that clay. So that form or that shape or that mold that the potter gives to the clay. That is called salsal. So that is called fakhar. That is fakhar. So this is what Allah SWT is giving. Uh, Allah SWT created insan from a clay. Like that mold which the potter makes. Right, so for example, for like you would say earthenware or pottery, so this is what is being meant here. And verse 15, وَخَلَكَ الْجَانَّ So jana is also a jama, is also a plural form. And Allah sponsor created the species of jinn, or the creation of jinn, from what? From مِنْ مَارْجِمْ مِنْ نَارِ From a pure fire. And you can also say ma'ar, sometimes people say as a mixture of fire. Some have translated as that fire that is so pure, it's a pure leaping fire, and that's why he's translated as smokeless. The notion is that it's such a burns so purely, it doesn't emit any smoke. That's what it means in Arabic. It burns so purely that no smoke comes from it, it's just fire. Pure combustion, pure fire, and so the jinn have been created from a fire like that. Now some ulama have on this ayah and some elsewhere in Quran but sometimes on this ayah have addressed the issue that just like insan was created originally insan is saying Adam al-Islam was created from this earth and the elements of earth and fashion like the potter would fashion his earthenware. So is it the case that Iblis was the first jinn and Allah SWT created Iblis from fire and then all of the progeny of all the rest of the jinn are progeny from Iblis. So Allahu Alam, that is one possibility. The point is here, the suggestion in the 15, verse 15 after 14 is the same way there was original one insan that was created in this way, Adam al-Islam, the suggestion is that there was one jinn that was created purely from fire. Because what we do know is that jinn have male and female jinn and they propagate and procreate in some sense the way Humans do, right? So it means they create, they beget one another. But the original jinn was created from Allah subhanahu wa from fire. Whether that was Iblis or not, Allahu alam, Allah ta'ala knows best. Alright. Next verse 17. Rabbul Mashrakaini wa Now Allah subhanahu wa after mentioning, and now you have this concept of coming over here. So after talking about this dual creation, insan and jinn, that which of the favors will you deny, the two of you deny, then mentioning each of them, now Allah is going to mention a few other dual aspects of his creation. So first, Allah refers to himself as the Rabb of Mashriqaini and Maghribain. 
So Mashrikain is a creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and Maghribain is also a creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. What does Mashrikain and Maghribain mean? Different ulama have offered different meanings of this. One is that there is one east in the northern hemisphere and there is another east in the southern hemisphere. And in other words, there is one place where the sun rises in the north and another sense of it rising in the south. And same thing for the sun setting in the northern hemisphere, southern hemisphere. Another meaning is that for any place on earth, any single latitude, longitude and altitude, any place on earth throughout the year because of the alternation of seasons and because of the traveling of the earth around the sun so the sun in terms of visually when it pierces the horizon on the east it pierces in different places up to here and then as the year goes back it goes back again to here and so there are two ends which represent the range visually from which the sun rises in the east so those two ends of that range are being me- mentioned here as mashrakain that is another possibility right? Uh, some have said that Mashrakain Allah Ta'ala has also used it just as a kanai in terms of the rising so one is the rising of the day and the second is the rising of night yani twilight and Maghribain is one is the setting of the day and one is the setting of the night so that is another way you can understand this so there are multiple and all of these are phenomenon that, uh, that Allah Ta'ala has made and there are many dualistic aspects to this alternating of night and day and to this factor of east and west and the travel of the sun then again so then which of the favors and bounties and blessings of your two rub or human and jinn can any of the two of you human and jinn ever ever deny so here when you put it that way in English it's not as poetic as the Arabic so maybe I'll stop saying that but know that human and jinn are embedded there in the Tisniya form next thing another um, dualistic aspect of Allah subhanahu wa creation is this Bahrain which is the two oceans right so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says here that Marajan Bahraini Yaltaqiyan So the two, you can even say the two bodies of water that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has uh, let forth or let gush forth the two bodies of water such that they, to meet, you need to meet one another. But they will meet one another in what sense? Without overflowing into one another because Bainahuma Barzakhun la yamghiyan That between the two there is a Barzakh now, barzakh is also used, right? Barzakh actually is being used in locally sense as a barrier. Barzakh means that barrier which you cannot cross. And that's why alam and barzakh means that you've crossed the barrier from this world. When you die, you will never be able to cross back into this world, right? So barzakh means a barrier you can't cross. So Allah SWT has put between these two waters a barzakh, a barrier that cannot be crossed at all. Where is this? So I've mentioned this to you before. Actually, many ulama have suggested that they have observed this in different parts of the world even one alam is said in Bangladesh some particular two bodies of water flowing but normally it's widely held to be uh, off the cape off the coast of Cape Town South Africa where the Atlantic Ocean and uh, what is it Pacific Ocean where they meet 
And here, as I mentioned to you, Allah Ta'ala gave us tawfiq to go there and see that. And you can really see one water is clearly more bluish and one is clearly greenish. And it looks as if somebody's drawn a border. And you can clearly see a border in the water. And one side is one type of water, one side is another type of water. But as I mentioned to you, uh, you know, here, but Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala knows best what this is. Um, but this is also a sign of the dualistic aspect of Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala's creation. فَبِأَيَّ آلَىٰ إِرَبِّكُمَا تُكَذِّبَانَ So then again Allah SWT is saying is that which of the two favors of your Rabb can you ever ever deny? Verse 22 يَخْرُجُ مِنْهُمَا الْلُؤْلُو وَالْمَرْجَانَ So here مِنْهُمَا means that Allah Ta'ala has taken out from those two, or rather you could say emerge from those two bodies of water uh, are Lulu and Marjan. You can translate Lulu as pearls and some will translate Marjan as corals. That is one translation. Second is that Lulu means small pearls and Marjan means large pearls. So this is something, and again perhaps if you remember Sayyidina Sulaiman al-Islam would order the jinn, right? to go deep into the oceans and dive and take these pearls out. So that is one aspect we get a feeling. We have some mention of jinn taking advantage or reaping these bounties and blessings. And certainly insan uh, is able to mine or deep sea dive for these pearls. So these are the most beautiful pearls that Allah subhanahu wa has created. This is also a sign of Allah subhanahu wa And in fact, in one hadith, Sayyidina Rasulullah mentioned pearls. In fact, many hadith, uh, it's been mentioned that Jannah will be made of pearls. In one hadith, there will be many pearls in Jannah. In one hadith, the Prophet said the house of the person in Jannah will be like a hollowed out pearl from inside. It would be all pearl, it would be like an all pearl house that is hollowed out inside for them to live in. So that means that uh, this uh, pearl is one of the special blessings of Allah SWT. And although I don't know so much about this, but apparently in the world of jewelry, they talk about freshwater pearls and saltwater pearls. So that is also something that he has mentioned here in Quran, because minhuma that you will take out pearls from both of the two. So if you take the Bahrain, uh, to mean salt, bodies of salt water and bodies of fresh water that the two of them can never meet. So that could also be one way that you take it. And that there's a barrier that salt water and fresh water, sweet water can never merge into one another. So then again, Then which of the blessings of your Rabb could you ever, ever deny? Verse number 24. Now here Allah is going to mention another uh, mercy of his another blessing and bounty of his that Wallahu and Lam here comes for Tamlik so Wallahu means that to Allah Ta'ala belong Allah Subhanahu is the owner of what? Al-Jawari and means all of the ships uh, Allah Subhanahu to him belong all of the ships Al-Munsha'atu fil Bahri all of the ships that sail in the sea and Munsha'at is actually really sometimes people it refers to that mast that is raised up on a boat upon which the sail exists. So it's a notion of that ship that is sailing from its raised mast with uh, the sail, cloth sail put upon it. Film Bahri, so it is ships that are sailing, ships under sail, maybe that's the way you can say it, ships under sail, film Bahri, that are in the ocean, Kal A'lam. 
and they're in the A'lam like mountains. So this is the Kanai here that when from far away you see a ship with a huge mast, which is that big pole in the middle, and that big sail on top of it. So from far away it looks like a little mountain. Uh, another way that this has been understood that it's like mountains in in the sense that Allah subhanahu wa like he has made mountains firm on this earth just like that Allah Ta'ala has made that ship firm on the ocean such that it does not sink and it is uh, you can just say it is not it does not sink and today uh, certainly if you see these extremely large uh, cargo ships uh, then their weight is such that um, even I think there's no those ships never even get lost at sea. There's no question of a storm because they're of such a massive size and massive weight. So you can understand this atlam either way. Either because of the visual or because of the weight and the way they set sail on the sea uh, without sinking. Again, Then which of the flavors of your favors and blessings and bounties of your Rabb could you ever, ever deny? Now comes a very important Two ayat of Quran al-Karim, verse 26 to 27. <laughs> Every single thing alayha, so ha is going back to this ard that Allah subhanahu was mentioning, right? And this is also a principle in Arabic grammar when you have a zamir ha and you have a pronoun and there is no immediate, although several ayahs back in the Quran you have the ard but normally the pronoun is used to apply to its most immediate precedent but in this case sometimes a zamir, a pronoun can also be used to refer to that which is ever present and always present so for us the earth is always present, is ever present so here Allah Ta'ala is saying is that every single thing which is on earth is fun means everything on earth is funny which means every single thing on this earth will perish every single thing whether it's every it's animate creation it's inanimate creation it's not just everyone every being on earth put it that way will perish every being every life every being on earth will perish this is the nature of Allah subhanahu wa creation that even though Allah has put so many bounties and blessings for us on this world everything is just going to perish except what is going to remain that the only thing that will remain is the waj of your Rabb what does waj mean? so waj literally means face but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not a being who has a physical body or who has body parts that we did for you a few days ago when we told you that every ayah in Quran that describes Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will be understood with the master ayah in which Allah ta'ala said that there is nothing the like unto him. There is no mythal to him. So you cannot understand this as a tamthil or a mush- tashbih. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is beyond any mythal and tashbih of anything in this physical creation. So waj can also in literal, a second literal meaning in the Arabic language is taraf means that what will remain, only those things that will remain which are on the side of your Rabb. Which means one is this physical creation, which is the 
Earth, Solar System, Milky Way, Galaxy, Universe. And then there's that creation which is on Allah Ta'ala's side, which is Jannah, which is also Jahannam, but also Jannah, the, kur- the Kursi, the Arsh, and many other of his, the angelic realms, uh, the realms of the Malaika. So that could be another meaning of this verse, that that which lies on the side of your Rabb, only that is Baqi. So you can also basically understand that is what is on that side, that is the Akhirah. That is the Akhirah. That's another way you could take the literal meaning. And if you were to take a metaphorical meaning of Waj, so Waj means the pleasure of your Rabb, means whatever is pleasing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Whatever is pleasing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So everyone and every being on this earth will perish. All of these ni'mas that Allah Ta'ala has mentioned, that will also all perish. All the oceans will perish, all the pearls will perish, all the corals will perish. Every single thing, all the fruits on earth will perish, all the cereal grains will perish. Every bounty and blessing Allah Ta'ala has mentioned, all of that is than, all of that is thani, all of that is going to fade away and die. Every single thing. The only thing that is baqi is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So you can even socket the wajj, that's another reading. That only thing that is baqi is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He is al-baqi. Another way you can understand this is from wajj means only things that have nisbat with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala are baqi. Only thing, when you said wajj for pleasure, only things that are done for the sake of Allah ta'ala, for the raza of Allah ta'ala, for the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is baqi. Only things that have nisbat ma'Allah have some connection with Allah Ta'ala or Baqi. So in this world, any act or deed that was done for His sake, that will be Baqi because its effect will last for all of eternity in the Akhirah. And anything in this world that has nothing to do with Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala, no matter how incredible a blessing and bounty it may be, no matter the fact that it's a blessing and bounty given to us by Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala, it is fun, it is funny, it will fade and perish. So this is why in the ulama of Tazkiyah and Ihsan, who are the ulama of the Ma'ani and Ma'arif of Qur'an, when they talk about Fana and Baqa, what they're trying to say is that insan is funny. Everything will perish. The only thing that is worthy in insan is that which is connected to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That is our ibadat of Allah, our worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, our itaat, our obedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, our amal on deen, our amal on Quran, our ilm of Quran, our amal on sunnah, our ilm of sunnah, all of the amal that Allah does mention in Quran of the siddiqeen, sadiqeen, salihin, awliya, all of those categories of people, everything that Allah has mentioned in Quran, that is baqi, everything else is found, everything else will fade and perish. So that means that now that we know that, that means that everything we should do in this world should be done for the sake of Allah SWT. Some have also taken the fan to mean the jism. All the jism in jismani means it's the negation of materialism. That all of these bounties and blessings, even though given by Allah SWT, nonetheless are material. So everything that is materially on earth will fade and perish. Even our own bodies, because in Jannah you're not given this body. On the day of judgment you're given this body, but in Jannah you're given yet another body, so even this body will perish. The only thing that remains is your ruh. And your ruh is something that came from Allah Subhanahu Originally, He created it kun for yakun, and it's all was created by Him, not through gestation, conception, not in this world. It was created by Him in His alami amr, alami arwah, and that is the only thing that will baki. It's your ruh that will remain. You will have a bodily existence in Jannah, but it won't be this jism. 
But your ruh is the thing that is baqi. And your ruh exists for the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So whatever nourishment you give your jism in this world, money, wealth, property, assets, that will fade. But whatever nourishment you put inside of your ruh becomes part of your ruh. That is your iman, taqwa, amal, deen. That will be baqi if you do it for the pleasure and for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and then another important thing in this verse and Allah ta'ala mentions one of his incredible names Rabbikahu Dhul Jalali Wal Ikram so what did you have now? up till now the only sifat mentioned in this surah was Al-Rahman and now the second surah second sifat Allah is mentioning here is that he is also Dhul Jalali Wal Ikram so Dhul Jalali Wal Ikram if you just and before we explain it simple English translation of that is Allah subhanahu the being of Jalal and the being of Ikram so Jalal normally people translate as majesty the being of absolute majesty and the being of absolute honor the being of absolute majesty and the being of absolute honor you know those English words don't even begin to touch what Jalal is and what Ikram is alright uh Jalal is might, majesty, splendor, wonder. All of that is in Allah subhanahu wa Jalal, his grandeur, his greatness, his amazing nature. And ikram you can translate as his benevolence, his being benefactor. It can, it's not just his own honor, but his being the one who bestows honor. So the first rupt here is that all of these bounties and blessings are given out of the jalal, the might and power and majesty and grandeur of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. No matter how incredible the earth may be, the Milky Way may be, the black hole may be, the galaxy may be, the fineness of a pearl may be, all of these creations are just a drop of the grandeur of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah ta'ala is infinitely more grand and amazing and wondrous than all of these bounties and blessings. He is Zu Zul Jalal. He is the being Zu is possessive form. He is the being who possesses all Jalal, all grandeur, wonder and amazement lie to him. So another way you can understand this is that instead of chasing after the wondrous but funny blessings of this world, we should be chasing after that being who alone is Baki, who alone will be eternal. It is pre-eternal and eternal and we should chase his wonder and grandeur. If, O oh human being, you are impressed by beauty and grandeur and amazement, then there is nothing more amazing and wondrous than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So all of this is the understanding of Jalal Ikram. Ikram means Allah subhanahu wa benevolence, His honor, His kindness, His benefaction. So here Allah subhanahu wa He possesses also His making those ni'mas was from His Jalal, His grandeur, and His giving them to us and sending them to us on earth. For us, that's His Ikram. That's His extreme kindness and benediction and benefaction to us. And the Subhanahu Taala said, "We didn't surah banish lakal karam nabani adam that indeed we have granted ikram and karam to the insan, yani to all the children of Sayyidina Adam salam. And ikram can also mean Allah Subhanahu because so one is his act of giving that karam, but zu means he is the possessor of all ikram. Allah Ta'ala alone has the ability to do ikram, to grant honor, to grant izza, to grant bounties, to grant blessings. And his real manifestation of that, of his jalal and ikram is going to, that's what's coming shortly, is going to be jannah. 
And so the real amazing wondrous bounties and blessings are going to be in Jannah. The real honor and benediction and ikram that Allah SWT is going to bestow upon a person is going to be in Jannah. So which of the two, which of the infinite favors of your Rabb can you ever, ever deny? Yas'alhu man fis samawati wal ard. Here it means Allah Subhanahu is saying is that every single person, every just you know maybe do a little bit more with you on this concept of uh, what is baki. All right, uh, you know you would say also in terms of your amal on this earth, the time that it takes to do that amal that is funny, the effort that it takes to do that amal that is funny. The sacrifice that it takes to do the amal, that is funny. But the thawab and ajr and qurub that you will get in the Allah, that is baqi. That will never fade. That is eternal. So this is another aspect. It may then refer then to the use of these ni'mas. That the ni'mas themselves are funny. But your use of them, if you use them according to Qur'an, according to and become a living bayan of that Qur'an, and you are a person of mizan, then your use of those ni'mas, that is your function in this world, is to use those ni'mas with such perfect, flawless justice and equity and worship and obedience and zikr and remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that every engagement of insan with those ni'mas leads to something that is baqi in the law that they do for the waj, for the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and any other engagement in those bounties and blessings of this world that is not for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is fun, is just going to perish, is going to come to naught, will be of no avail, has no real value, will be null and void, is like fluff. That is another way you can understand this. Now, Zul Jalali wal Ikram, this has also been mentioned as one of the master attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah Subhanahu has a name which is known as Isma Azam, right? So in one hadith in Abu Dawood, Sayyidina Rasul, it's narrated that Sayyidina in the Sunnah of Abu Dawood, that Sayyidina Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, that somebody made dua to Allah Subhanahu using this name Dhul Jalal Al Ikram, and when Sayyidina Rasulullah heard that dua, he said to that person that about that person that indeed this person has made dua using that name of Allah Ta'ala who grants all of the person's du'as. So this is a special name of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala's Dhul Jalali Wal Ikram. That said, uh, you know, that brain man made a very long du'a and then he ended by saying, Ya Dhul Jalali Wal Ikram and then the Prophet said, You have made du'a by that name of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala with which a person is granted whatever he asks. This is a hadith in Abu Dawud. Here, some have said, so what is that Isma Azam? Uh, some have said Isma Azim is this Dhul Jalali wal Ikram. Others have said Isma Azim is simply Isma Jalala Allah. That when you call upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala using his zati name Isma Zad Allah, that is the name by which uh, Allah ta'ala will grant all of a person's du'as.
Another impact of this Dhul Jalali Wal Ikram is Allah Subhanahu Wa saying is that we should become Abdul Abdu Abd to that Dhul Jalali Wal Ikram. What does that mean? That because Allah Ta'ala has all the wonder and majesty and greatness and grandeur, then we should absolutely submit to Him and be in complete submission to Him. And because Allah Ta'ala alone is that being who is the true benefactor and the true giver of Izzah, so what it means is, and it means that He's pure, Ikram means also He's pure of shirk, He's subhan, He possesses all honor in Izzah, He's free and pure from any flaws and defects, and dishonors and disgraces that humanity ascribes to him. So this is also an ishara to Tawheed. So Zul Jalal is an ishara to our Taslim. And him being Zul Ikram is an ishara to our Tawheed. That we should never ourselves ascribe anything to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Does not befit his being that being of tremendous honor. Alright, so verse, down, verse number 29. يَسْأَلْهُ مَنْ فِي السَّمَوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ So here Allah subhanahu wa first part of this verse is that every single being in the samawat and the ard it's not just insan it can be insan, can be jinn, can be malaika can be planets, can be animal creation every single thing فِي السَّمَوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ يَسْأَلْهُ asks Allah subhanahu wa entreats Allah subhanahu wa begs Allah subhanahu wa beseeches Allah subhanahu wa Every single thing turns to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And in fact, most commentators will say that this is that all beings in the heaven and the earth ask from Him. So it means that it, insan has been given that choice. Insan and jinn. Everything else is absolutely dependent on Him. He is the mas'ul of everyone. He is the data of everyone. He is the beloved of everyone. He is the one who grants everyone. So everything asks Him. And then, Here Lata is saying is that every single day, and Yomin, the Tanween means each and every single day, Huwa Allah subhanahu wa is in a Sha'an. What does this mean? Right? So this is something we have explained to you in several ways. First of all, uh, Allah subhanahu wa Sha'an means uh, that He... There are levels of meaning of this, right? Like we did with you in Surah Nur. So let's take it up from a more basic level. And that means that every single day Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is in a state of action, is conducting affairs, is addressing and resolving matters and issues. Means that his shan means his dominion. So in a sense you can say he is in charge. Every single day he is acting in it as his capacity, as in charge. That is one meaning. Second meaning of Sha'an means that Allah subhanahu wa majesty. Uh, I mean, so literally in the first sense, He is busy in some task, He is engaged. What does it mean that Allah subhanahu wa is not an absent or silent Rabb? He is a dynamic and ever engaged Rabb. He is always engaged in the affairs of the universe. He is not the blind watchmaker that just made it and left it to be. He is ever and always and intimately and deeply and perpetually and dynamically engaged with the universe. Kulla yom, each and every single day and each and every single moment of every single day. So that is one aspect, that's one level of meaning of this. Second meaning of this is that Shan refers to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's majesty. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it refers to His beauty. 
And this means that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala every day manifests himself in a new splendor, a new majesty, new splendor and beauty. Shan you can take as a splendor. So for example, the ulama of Tazkiyah say, they give the example of just like a newlywed bride, that every night she appears in front of her husband with new clothing and new jewelry, with a new jalak, a new sha'an. So just like that, Allah Ta'ala every day, because He is Al-Rahman, so take it back to the first verse of the ayah, His Rahmah, His mercy, has a new sha'an every day. He showers yet, because he's infinite mercy, being of infinite mercy, so he showers a different splendor and beauty of his mercy every single day. And that's why then the ulama and mashayikh say that the person who can feel this, right, who is the truest lover of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they can feel that new beauty every day. What does that mean? They get a new, different, distinct lazza in every ibadah. Every fajr is a new taste for them. So many times you give the example of chocolate ice cream. What this means is infinite flavors. Infinite flavors of ibadah they get. Every single day they enjoy their ibadah in a different way because that Rabbul Rahman to whom they are praying has manifested himself in a new shan every day. Now imagine if you, every single time you ate food, it was a new flavor. Then how attracted you would be to eating. So those people who could feel the flavors of ibadah, the lutf and lazza of ibadah, that's why they would keep praying. They would pray all night, two-thirds of the night, half the night, their whole life they would get up, untiringly, unflinchingly, because they were getting the shan. So the plural also is shuyunat, so shan also refers to Allah Ta'ala's emanation. So, I mean, if, you, if I put in the plural, you will understand easier. Shuyunat, waridat, anwarat, fuyuzat, the tajalliyat. That's in other words, Allah Ta'ala says in Quran, His emanations, what He sends down to earth, the way He interrelates with creation, the what He, what descends from His mercy onto His creation. So it means basically the shuyunat of His rahmah, Allah, the way Allah Ta'ala sends His mercy, His emanations and showering of mercy is new and distinct every single day. So one is His Sha'nul Jami. Sha'nul Jami means Allah Ta'ala's Zat in Ismi Azam, Allah, His entire splendor. And then is the different ways He relates with us. So He's Ar-Razaq, He's Ar-Rahman, He's Ar-Rahim, He sends Hidayah, He also sends Madad, He also sends Nusrat, He also sends this, He also sends that. Each and every one of those individually are the Shuyunat of Allah subhanahu wa So either way, you could take it that the Shan of His Rahmah is new and distinct and manifest in a new splendor and beauty every day. Or you can take it as His Zati Shan, His own Shan, manifests itself in a new splendor and beauty every day and on the basis of the shan of his rahmah he is engaged so you now you link these two levels he is dynamically engaged that was the first level of meaning he is dynamically engaged and active in the affairs and matters of his creation every single day with a new splendor and beauty of his mercy or a new splendor and beauty manifested of his zat so then, فَبِأَيِّ آلَىٰ إِرَبِّكُمَا تُكَذِّبَانَ So then, which of the bounties and blessings of your Rabb could you ever, ever deny? Alright, now, verse 31. سَنَفْرُغُ لَكُمْ أَيُّهَا الثَّقَلَانَ 
Here Allah subhanahu wa saying is that very shortly and soon Allah subhanahu wa says that we are going to make ourselves farik we will free ourselves and become available ourselves to who? The two thakadan, the two groups. Again, this means the jinn and humanity. And what does this mean? That Allah subhanahu wa means, it means basically very soon we will attend to you. Very soon we will attend to you, O oh, you two groups. Alright, that is one way to translate this. But by calling them thakalan, thakalan comes from thakil, means that they are heavy. So what does it mean? Allah Ta'ala is saying that soon we will free ourselves up to attend to you, you two heavy-handed groups. You who are bringing a thakil book of deeds to Allah Ta'ala on the Day of Judgment. And it's actually a very intense meaning here, because what Allah Ta'ala just said was that He attends to dynamically every affair in the world, but on the Day of Judgment, He is going to make Himself farikh, from every single other thing that he does. And all of his might and majesty and attention and power is going to be directed to us on that day of his heart. Allahu Akbar Kameera. Like you would say to one another, Yes, that's what this is saying. It, you cannot understand unless you really, unless you can think in Arabic, you can't get the full tenor of this. Sanafruhu. That soon and surely I will make myself free and I will attend to you exclusively, O oh, you two groups of human and jinn who are thakalan, who are heavy. You heavy groups means you're bringing heavy, heavy deeds for me, heavy book of deeds for me, heavy ingratitude to me, heavy infractions to me. Allahu Akbar Kameera. That's what Allah SWT is saying. That being who is of Dhul Jalali wal Ikram, who is Al Rahman, who is the being of Sha'an, who is doing infinite things, will free himself from every single thing and uniquely, exclusively attend to us on the Day of Judgment when he is our Malik. Then, given that we are going to meet such a Rabb who is going to be so dynamically engaged with us, then how in the world would we want? How in the world do we want to mm, deny any of the blessings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? So here again, if you ever want to understand about free will, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is mentioning over and over and over again, right? Don't use your free will, freedom to disbelieve and freedom to disobey, to deny Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or to deny even any single one of His Blessings and bounties. There's another meaning that the ulama have taken of this. And that's just like this one was very intense. This is equally intense but intensely soft. Allahu Akbar Ajib. If they're going... You see, one is looking at it based on what came before. One is looking at the siyak. One's, look, one's looking at the sabak. One's looking at the siyak. Based on what's coming after, because the tazkirah is coming of Jannah. So another way of saying this, another way that you can translate this, is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying that very soon we will make ourselves entirely farik and free. And what does it mean? That we will make ourselves farik for you all the time in Jannah. That, oh my insan and jinn, believing insan and jinn, that once you enter into Jannah, then I'm not interested in the world at all. I'm not interested in the galaxy, the universe, the creation. I won't be sending rain, sending clouds, none of that. I will make myself completely farik just for you. 
I will exclusively and only attend to you and that is the ultimate manifestation of the mercy of Ar-Rahman and that's why then if you do rupt with that hadith that when Allah Ta'ala invites the Ahlul Jannah for his didar his ru'ya he will recite to them Surah Ar-Rahman and then that is the announcement and proclamation that Allah Ta'ala has now freed himself up from all of creation and in a sense Allah Ta'ala is saying I'm farag just for you I'm all yours now, O Ahlul Jannah. I have no interest in the rest of all of the creation and all of the grandeur and splendor and bounties and blessings I put in all of creation. All of that I had put just for you. And now that you are in Jannah, now that you are mine, then all of me has become yours. Allahu Akbar. This Quran. All of these meanings are there. It's not one or the other. All of these meanings are simultaneously there in Quran al Karim. So then the thakulan means that you have thakil, means that you will be given everlasting life. Now you have some wazan also. <laughs> You're not this funny thing, the rakhbut came before. You're not this funny thing that's going to perish on earth. Now you thakil, because you've entered Jannah. Now you will not be funny, because Allah Ta'ala will give the human and jinn who are in Jannah eternal life. They will live therein forever, till they are now the two thakil groups. Allahu Akbar Kabira. But Ajib, ayah of Quran Al-Karim. So how is it that you could ever deny the bounties and blessings and favors of your Rabb? Next verse number 33. Ya ma'ashir al-jinni wal-ins. So here ma'ashir, right here as is addressing the entire assembly. That oh entire assembly, oh entire Kadra, O entire genus and species of jinn and insan. Each, so they're being addressed as a totality, as a collective, but it also means as an individual. Uh, what does Allah Subhanahu wa say? In istatatum, an tanfudu min aqtaris samawati wal ard. It means that if you're able to penetrate, means penetrate, transcend, transgress. Uh, the realms of the heavens and the earth then if you can do so then go ahead and penetrate means that you can never escape the notion here is that there's no escaping so if you were to take this mm, back to that other one the first interpretation first meaning that was there, that Allah Ta'ala will make himself farak, he's going to deal with us exclusively, and there's no escape for us whatsoever. Nor can we escape this realm of the heavens on this earth. And you would never ever be able to transgress or transcend or penetrate the limits or the realms of this heaven and earth, except with a sultan, except with a... <coughs> except with a warned from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala except with an authority or a power granted by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alright so the first meaning of this again is that uh, you can never escape from the reckoning you will never be able to escape Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala second meaning however is that you would never be able to leave this physical creation which is full of all and the bounties and blessings and enter into that akhira, enter into that jannah except bis sultan, except by the power and of ar-Rahman so by the power and warrant and authority and decree of Allah rahman the all-infinite merciful one so there's no way we can get into that jannah except with the sultan of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so again, all of that is the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala فَبِأَيَّ آلَىٰ إِرَبِّكُمَا تُكَذِّبَانَ but then which of the 
mercies and bounties and blessings of your Rabb could any of you ever, ever deny. And verse 35, Okay, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saying here, verse 35, that a flame of fire and smoke will be unleashed upon you. Shuwadun min nadin means a flame from the fire. Uh, yeah, you could even just call that a flame and then call the nar the fire, although some people may translate that as a smoke uh, and fire, but it, I would translate it as a flame, uh, a s- maybe a smoky flame, and a fire will be unleashed onto who? The two of you, alaykuma means both insan and jinn, falatan tasiran, and you will have no way to ward it off. You will have no one to do your nusrat. You will have no source of help, no succor, no savior, no rescuer, nothing that can help you against that. You will not be able to defend that anyway. So this flame of fire will come to you, a flame from the fire, and nohas is the smoke. So a flame of the fire and a smoke will be unleashed upon you. What does this mean? So this is referring to the, mm, uh, the intensity of the fire of Jahannam. Right, uh, and this is obviously not every single insan engine. One meaning of this is that when a person has to cross the pull of Sirat, that if nothing else, everyone insan engine will have to put themselves in a position where the flames of the fire of Jahannam can leap up at them and put themselves in a position where the smoke that is rising from the fire of Jahannam can also leap up at them. And one will not be able to defend oneself from it at all. Second meaning is that here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, up to now Allah hasn't done this in yet, but here subhanahu wa ta'ala is talking about those who will deny. In, this, in response to this question, that will you deny, will you deny? So yes, those who deny the mm, favors and bounties and blessings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then they will be faced with this this punishment. So this is an ihtimal that Allah Ta'ala is mentioning, that this is the post, this, I mean, it's an ihtimal for a person, it's not necessarily going to happen, but it is the punishment one will face when, if a person denies Allah Ta'ala's favors and blessings. And then next, then Allah Ta'ala is going to be talking that about that day, so the next few ayat will be about the day of judgment, and then Allah Ta'ala will shift and then talk about Jannah, so verse 36, فَبِأَيَّ آلَىٰ إِرَبِّكُمَا تُكَذِّبَانَ Then which of the favors and bounties and blessings of your Rabb will you deny? فَإِذَا شَكَّتِ السَّمَاءُ فَكَانَتْ وَرْدَةً كَدِّهَانَ So this in shakkat means when the sky will be rent asunder, when it will be cleft asunder, when it will be split apart. Then what will happen? It will become red. Here is describing the color of the sky, that when the sky is rent asunder, it will become all red. This translator translated as rosy. Uh, some have also said, you see, because the metaphor that Allah SWT is using, is that it will become... He has put here rosy, uh, like red hides. Okay. What it means here, how can we explain this? If you've ever been to a zoo, I, that's the best way I can explain it to you. 
Maybe the maybe I should come up with a better reaction then. All right. First of all, this word in Arabic, right? Barda uh, normally means rose. All right. Okay. The reason I wouldn't use the English word rosy is because normally in English when we say the word rosy, the color that comes to mind is a pinkish red, right? Or a pinkish hue, or a pastel type of pink. That's not what it means here. Barda is referring to that vivid red rose. A very vivid red. A bright, vivid, lush red color. That is the kanai Allah is using here by the metaphor of the rose. So you would have seen a very red rose, right? Like the bright red they use for the heart and the bright red they use on the rose. It's that color. So the sky will become almost what Allah wants. The sense here is a glaring red. A brilliant, vivid, glaring red. Not a rosy pastel hue and tone a blaring and glaring red like the hide so what does this mean it, it means the hide of an animal uh, so what does it mean by the hide of animals so this is what I was trying to say that if you ever um, if you've ever been to a zoo you know you may have seen there's a certain type of monkey I don't know if you've seen this but there's a certain type of I don't know what they're called even it's not monkey it's like one of those monkeys orangutan chimpanzees one of them and on their posterior there's no skin and it's a bright red uh, thing. And the notion is that because it's the raw skin. So if us, our raw skin is very pink, right? So it's the notion, Akaddehan is to basically illustrate to the rawness of the color. So Varda meant the vividness of the red. And Kaddehan means an absolutely raw red. Raw, like you rip something off. Like if you have a wound and you see, then it's a very raw color. So when Allah Ta'ala rifts the sky, renders it asunder, clefts the sky, splits the sky, you will see it all of a sudden like a raw, vivid, bright red. So this is also one of the things, right, of the end of time and the Day of Judgment. So which of the two favors of your Rabb will you deny? And this will be that day that no ins, no human, nor any jinn will be asked about their sins. Now what does this mean? Because obviously that is a day where there will be a lot of, um, you know, a lot of questioning and reckoning. So here the ulama have given several answers to this. So what does it mean that they will not be asked? Uh, the first is that this means that it is going to actually be a moment. Actually, getting back to the hide, when you when the sky is cleft asunder, so when you rip off the skin and you see that hide, that rawness, it also means that uh, what it, there's several other meanings of this. So it means all the surface of the skin is ripped off. So when Allah Ta'ala rents the sky asunder, then the stars and the moon and the sun and everything that you would see on the skin of the sky, so to speak, on the surface of the sky, that is all ripped off. Second meaning is that when you rip off something and you see the hide of something, uh, you see what was unseen. You're seeing the inner picture. Right, so here Allah Subhanahu is saying is that when in this world, and Allah has mentioned in several eyes of Quran, He has star-studded the sky as a zenith for us, 
But the reality is behind all of these bounties and blessings, behind all of these stars and beauties of this world, is the reality of the Day of Judgment. So when Allah ripped the sky off, you will be able to see the raw red reality of Qiyamah. That all of this was just fun. That's another metaphor then, that you will realize that everything was just fading and you will be confronted with the raw, red, blaring, vivid reality that this world is nothing and yes, it has come to nothing and exactly what Allah Ta'ala said, it has completely been folded up and now we are standing in front of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. Another meaning of that is that another way they've taken the metaphor of the height is that when you see the unseen, you will see your book of deeds, you will see your a'mal. It's as if a veil will be torn off and you will see the raw, red, vivid reality of who you yourself are and what your amal are. So all of this is there. Uh, so it's not a rosy, <laughs> it's a very intense, very intense, vivid, raw, red picture that Allah subhanahu wa is portraying or depicting to us. So next was the Allah said that no man and no jinn will be asked about their sins at all. So what does this mean? So one view is that there is no need to ask in the sense that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will not need to ask. But in certain hadith it does come that in order, and it comes in both senses. In some hadith it is mentioned that Allah ta'ala will ask the sinner of his sins as an additional torment and agony in the trial, right? For example, if you make somebody confess every one of their sin as at itself is an additional form of punishment. However, in other days it comes that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala asks the sinner of their sins, a very beautiful sahih that we often re- tell you, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala called the sinner believer, and he will ask them, that, did you do this sin? He will say yes. Did you do this sin? He will say yes. Did you do this sin? He will say yes. And Allah will start counting his sagayr, one after the other, that the person will start sweating, and will be in a state of terror. Then Allah is asking about each and every single sin of mine, that after Allah Ta'ala asks him about all of the sins, then Allah Ta'ala will say that, did I cover your sins up in the world, all of them? Was I a satar? And the person will say, yes, Allah Ta'ala, you concealed all of those sins. It's today that the, it's been ripped off, Sallallahu says, I will admit you into Jannah, my, I will send my mercy on you, as Kamal as I sent my satr on you. This is for that mu'min who makes tawbah to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Some of the muhaddithin, just to understand that hadith, have mentioned that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has chosen to forgive that person, accepted their tawbah. I'm not talking about a person who sinned recklessly and unrelentingly and unrepentantly. No, this is the person who sinned and made tawbah for their sins, but as one last thing, just so that the person could feel how much Allah Ta'ala is a tawab so the person could feel Allah Ta'ala accepting his tawbah Allah Ta'ala will make him count out his sins and again this has two jalaks one aspect of it is that Allah Ta'ala will show his azmat that okay you're not completely scot-free I save you from the punishment of Jahannam but this questioning and interrogation of mine and the emotional and spiritual torment that the person will have that will be their only punishment and then they will go into Jannah but, like I said, the second meaning of the Muhaddisin says that when they feel such, they, they, and that's what they said, the person will feel it's over for them. Allah Ta'ala made har eke So when they feel it's absolutely over for them, then Allah Ta'ala almost, in a sense, enjoys sending His mercy on that person at that moment because He makes him completely na'umid and then shows him how kamal He accepts His toba. So that is His manifestation of a tawab. So that is another type of questioning. And there was that first type of questioning where that person is sent to Jahannam and the questioning is done as a punishment. 
So here, how is this ayah not in contradiction with that? Because that we know from Quran and Hayat Allah will question. So here, the Mufassirun said that Allah Taala in this ayah is trying to convey another sense, which is hundred percent there and not contradictory with Allah Taala's questioning, is that there is no need to ask a person about their sins. There is no need to question. And the rubbed here is again because Allah Taala has ripped it off, like you see the naked, raw, red hide of the skin. Allah Taala has ripped off the whole dunya. And now what it means is that their own, first of all, as Allah has mentioned in Quran, even their faces will be able to tell. There will be some faces that are abiyal, some that are aswa, that's coming later in Quran, some that are white because of their deeds, uh, white with nur, it's nothing to do with race or color, it's a white of nur and the blackness of zulmat. It's nothing to do with being a white person or a black person, right? They have the nur of their amal, or they have the zulm, the spiritual darkness of their sins, so there's no need to ask, it's self-evident. When Allah Ta'ala has rent the sky asunder, folded up this world the person's hakikat will be self-evident, you will be able to see it on their faces. And of course as you know there's still many other things that will testify against the person there's the book of deeds, there's the places of earth where they sin, there's the karam and katibin who recorded the deeds, there's own organs and limbs, we did that just a few days ago that a seal will be set on his mouth and his own organs and limbs will testify so in that sense also there's no need to question but here this is the sense that it meant that even though Allah will question later, initially there's no need to even question about their sin because the veil will be lifted from them and the rawness, the raw reality of their deeds will be manifest on that day. And this is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying uh, uh, right here in verse 4. So let me just do verse 45. And then verse 41, this one is saying, That the sinners will be recognized. They will be recognized, they will, they, will, they will be maruf, they will be well known and well recognized by because of their marks. They will be marks and that is the mark of the zulm of their sin. And then when they were known by their marks, what will happen? They will simply be for yu'khadu. They will be seized, bin nawasi. Nawasi is nasi, means their foreheads. But here people have their forelocks, in the sense that if they have some hair growing over their forehead, they will be seized by their foreheads, by their forelocks. Well, uh, akadam, and they will be dragged by their feet. So they will be seized at both ends. They will be clearly recognized. No need to ask. It will be manifest who and what they were. So which in the world with the bounties and blessings of Allah Ta'ala would you want to deny? Lest that denial make us amongst the mujrimun. And then blessed we also be revealed as sinners and wrongdoers and oppressors and transgressors on that day. And lest we also be seized by our foreheads and forelocks and feet on that day. And then what will be said to those mujrimun? that indeed this is that Jahannam this is that Jahannam uh, about which you used to which you used to deny which you did takzeeb you falsified you viewed it to be a lie this is that Jahannam so this means that those who don't uh, accept and honor all of these mercies and blessings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala they will be dragged and grabbed in that way and brought into this fire of Jahannam. May Allah Ta'ala save each and every one of us from such a fate and may He enable us to do shukr and qadr of His infinite bounties and blessings that He has sent down upon us. 
And then, يُتُوفُونَ بَيْنَهَا وَبَيْنَ حَمِيمٍ an. They will be made, literally, tawaf doesn't always mean going around. It can mean be to pass between to and fro. So they will be uh, made to pass between that fire and between the hot boiling water. Hamim, we had done that for you before. That is the hot, scalding, boiling water. And to and fro, like sa'ik is sometimes even in Arabic called tawaf. Uh, it's not necessarily circular. It could be circular. Allah Ta'ala knows best. means they could be going round and round between that scalding, boiling water and the fire of Jahannam. They could be going to and fro, bath and forth from it. And uh, some of the Mufasrin say that, what does this mean? So they say that like in this earth, when something sets on fire, you pour water on it. Right? And then again, let's say you put something on fire, you again pour water on it. So that's what will happen to them back and forth. They will go into the fire of Jahannam and they will be in the fire and then they will come out. But instead of a cold water being poured on them that would put out that fire, in fact this intensely hot scalding liquid will be poured on them which only magnifies the effect of that fire. And then they will go back into that fire. So the notion is of a twain punishment, a dual punishment. One is of the thermal energy of the fire and one is a liquid. And anybody who has ever been even burnt a little bit through the boiling water of this earth knows that that is a different type of burn. And the burn from a fire is a different type of burn. So this is what it means. Allah Akbar. Can you imagine the intense punishment like that? And being like that for all of eternity. Going into fire and then have boiling water and then again fire and then boiling water. Allahu Akbar Kabira. This is the punishment that Allah Ta'ala sends for those people who deny His bounties and blessings. That's why we should make sure that we honor all of His bounties and blessings. This was verse number 45 that indeed we must. Which of the favors of your Rabb will you deny? The mention of Jahannam over here, some, I think, I wouldn't say the Mufassirun themselves had this question. Let's put the, it, the Mufassirun anticipated that some may have this question that when Allah Ta'ala is, this is Surah Ar Rahman, and this is the Surah by Allah Ta'ala's infinite mercy about His infinite mercy, and here Allah Ta'ala is mentioning all of His bounties and blessings that we shouldn't deny. So Jahannam is neither one of His mercies nor is it a bounty and blessing. So why is the mention of Jannam here? So the first reason for this is that Allah Subhanahu wanted it to be known. There's only one misconception that insan could possibly have emotionally after reading the rest of Surah Rahman and that is that Allah Ta'ala is so merciful He'll just send everyone to Jannah. And that's what most of us in our secular humanistic upbringing, that's what most of us subconsciously kind of think and, and we most want to think, right? That, and, and if the tazkirah of Jahannam had not been in Surah Rahman, that's what insan would have thought by the end of Surah Rahman, that Allah Ta'ala's mercy is so infinite, He's so amazing, so incredibly kind and merciful, no one will go to Jahannam. So Allah Ta'ala wanted to make sure 
that a person should know that notwithstanding Allah Ta'ala's infinite mercy, His infinite mercy does not negate His azab. His rahmah does not negate and nullify His punishment. And that's why the mention of the fire of Jahannam is here. And this is why anybody who ever thinks like that, and many people in the more sort of whatever you want, and I hate using these labels, but whatever you want to call it, educated, modern, modern, secular, progressive people in Pakistan, a lot of them think like that. Allah Ta'ala maaf karne wale wo har cheez maaf karenge and they actually in, in a sense they think that Allah Ta'ala being a Rahman means that no one will ever go to Jannah and in Surah Rahman itself Allah Ta'ala wanted to make sure that nobody should ever think like that Allah is Allah right and we cannot make Allah Ta'ala or cast Him in a mold that we would like we submit we must believe in Allah Ta'ala as He has revealed Himself to be and he has made himself known. And so he has that aspect of adab as well. And in a sense, ni'mah, when Allah says, don't deny ni'mah, so this itself is a ni'mah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, right? That he has mentioned Jahannam. He has told us this. This itself is a favor of Allah. It says, from the uh, favors and bounties of Allah ta'ala on us, that he has told us about Jahannam and he has told us in many details its excruciating punishment so we would stay away from those acts and feelings and things that would lead to it that's also part of his mercy and that's also one of his bounties and blessings on us these passages themselves are part of Allah Ta'ala's favor and bounty on us right so we shouldn't shy away although it's a very natural human tendency we shouldn't shy away from the intense descriptions of Jahannam we should let them we should let that fear come. It's good for us. It's part of Allah's mercy that we fear Him. It's part of Allah Ta'ala's bounties and favors upon us that we should tremble in front of Him. We should open ourselves up to that. As opposed to closeting off everything to do with Jahannam and just trying to be quote-unquote humanistic, then it's a disservice to deen. Then we will end up maybe being ungrateful without that fear of Jahannam. We won't be able to have that kiss on that mizan. We won't be able to be true and just on our deen, we won't be able to submit and worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So we need this fear. We need the fear that is instilled with these, um, yes, terror-inspiring descriptions of being in fire and then being in scalding water and then being in fire and then being in scalding water. So we shouldn't think this is, this is also Allah ta'ala's love, that He doesn't want us to get this punishment. It's also the love that ulama have. They're not, they're Malvi so but a drowny Malvi. Drowny. Allah Akbar. Allah Ta'ala sent Allah Ta'ala over about the Prophet that you are a Nadir and a Bashir. So the Prophet Nadir means drowning. <laughs> it means to warn. So it's the Sunnah of Nabi Akrim it's the, uh, it's the Adat and legacy of Allah Ta'ala Quran. So yes, you have to sometimes open your heart up to that fear so that your heart can get all of that mercy and love. But as is Allah Ta'ala's want always in Quran, um, Almost always, pretty much always, is that whenever you, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, follows the description of Jahannam, and no matter how intense those one or two ayat are, so there is certainly an ishara in the Surah Al Rahman that after those few ten ayat in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about his Jahannam, now come dozens of ayat in which Allah ta'ala will talk about his Jannah. And that is the asal, and that is what Allah ta'ala really wants us, and that's his real ultimate bounty and blessing. And this is also something we have to open ourselves up for. And some elites are also so foolish when they talk like that. What are these things about Jannah? What are these things about Jannah? 
Al-Aman Al-Hafiz. Na'udhu Billah Min Dalik. You have to open yourself up also. And so it's going to come very vivid. And yes, sometimes physical descriptions of the physical pleasures of Jannah as well as the emotional spiritual pleasures. That's also Quran. It's also the message of Rahman. We have to open up our heart to this as well. And we should feel a sense of yearning for it. Right? Without having to overly intellectualize each and every aspect of our deen. So from now, uh, verses 46 to uh, 61 is the first of two major passages where Allah Subhanahu is going to talk about the blessing of Jannah. And the rapt, I mean exactly what I was trying to say, is in verse 46, لِمَنْ خَافَ مَقَامَ رَبِّهِ جَنَّتَانِ So that person who has khawf, khawf, how do you stay, how do you get out of Jahannam? Khawf. How do you get into Jannah? Khawf. Khawf from insan and rahmah from rahman. This is what is going to do the job. So man khafa, man khafa, and to that person, and each and every person, khafa who fears maqam rabbihi, means the standing in front. This is zarfi makan. Maqam means when they will have to stand in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Yes, ishaz meaning, you can take it in, in the other sense, maqam. They fear the azmat of their rab, they fear the splendor and status of their rub but here maqam is zarf maqam it means the place of standing or can be zarf zaman that time when they will stand in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala either way it means that they fear being made to stand in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that was their overwhelming fear and if they have that fear what will they get? jannatan they will get two jannas you can People will translate it as two gardens, but better you can literally, and you're going to see, it really, it means two jannas. So it means the people of jannah are the people of khawf. The people who know. Why do they fear Allah? Because they know that He is Jalali wal Akram. They know He is Al-Aziz, Al-Jambar, Al-Mutakabbir, Al-Azim, Al-A'la. So they have a fear for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Alright. So which of the favors of your Rabb will you deny that Rabb who wants to give you not just Jannah but Jannatan? Maybe in the end I'll explain to you this notion of two Jannahs uh, because you see in this passage there's going to be a discussion of twain Jannahs then again there's going to be from verses 62 to, to the end a mention of a lower level of Jannah but that's also Jannatan that's also two Jannahs so the dual here uh, you would see the dual form is being used throughout this surah and here Mashakain, Maghribain, Tukaziban etc etc here Jannah is also being mentioned in the dual form alright now we are on verse number 48 right Aspect of Jannah, Allah mentions in verse 48, 
is that both of these gardens, Zawata Afnan, that both of these two gardens are Zawata or Zat, plural of Zat is Zawata, are two entities, two gardens, Afnan, which means they're filled of all branches. They will be filled with branches. Now, branch here uh, can be referring to tree, and branch can also be referring to Allah Ta'ala saying that it is leafy, it has so many leaves because it's full of branches. So when Allah Ta'ala has mentioned earlier that in Jannah there will be trees, so by mentioning the word branch here, Allah Ta'ala is trying to show how verdant, how lush, how plush, how leafy those trees will be. Few, very rare translation of this is that instead of branches, it means species, uh, that it will be filled of all types of species of bounties and blessings. But that's a very Shah's understanding. Really, it means, uh, it actually does literally mean here that it will be filled of branches. So even just for this one ni'mah, even just to get the leafy, branched, fulled, plush trees and forest groves of Jannah, even that is something that we can't deny. And our entire life could be sacrificed for the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala just for the sake. So, Then which of the bounties and blessings and favors of your Rabb could the two of you, yani insan and jinn, ever deny? And then again, in means in those two gardens, there should be two uh, gushing springs. Ainan is spring and Tajri is Jari. There will be two gushing or flowing springs. Alright. That is another mercy that Allah subhanahu is mentioning in this. And these are basically mostly simply to be taken as they are as the physical descriptions of Jannah. Now obviously the trees of Jannah will be unlike any tree here. The branches of those trees will be unlike any branch here. The leaves on those branches will be unlike any leaf here. The streams will be unlike anything here and the springs and the way they flow also will be different than anything like it is flowing here then which of the favors and bounties and blessings of the two of your rub the two of you can ever deny so here it means in each of those two gardens there will be every fakiha so first it means every type of fruit, every species of fruit, every kind of fruit, and zojan. And so zojan means it would be either two pairs, there would be a pair, means twain, or a pair, or two mates of every fruit. What does this mean? Now some uh, of the ulama have said that this just means that just like you have two gardens, you have two springs, everything is being done in the tathniya. Another have said that because, for example, in dates we have this thing, now rutub, uh, you have the wet date and the dry date. So in a sense that in that sense you have different types of fruit in terms of wet and dry. Others have said that what it means is that there will be two flavors. So if there's an apple in Jannah, one will be the flavor of the apple of this world, the most incredible worldly apple and then will be the taste of the jannati apple whatever and that will be a different taste altogether so you will get pears like that allahu alam right uh, it can have pears can mean different colors different varieties allah ta'ala knows best uh, the tafsil of this but the point is that he allah ta'ala said that in each of them you would have every single kind of fruit imaginable and there would be twain of them there would be Pairs of them. So then which of the favors, bounties and blessings of your Rabb can you ever deny? 
Alright, so this is now the people of Jannah. This is referring to, if you will, their bedding in Jannah. So they will recline on, uh, you can say carpets, you can say bedding that is lined with thick silk. We did this for you before, istabrak, as opposed to sundus. Sundus is a fine and refined type of silk. And istabrak is a thick silk. Some say that, I don't know, again like I told you, maybe that's called brocade in English, I don't know, but thick silk. So they will be reclining, and it means basically they will be reclining on the ground. Now whether you want to call that a carpet, you want to call that a flooring, you want to call that their bedding, but the notion is one of complete ease and relaxation and contentment and happiness and joy and bliss. But also by mentioning the istabrak, this is now, it's a different sense. The luxuries that we had in this world are almost never free of ujub. Right? If we have a very luxurious sofa, when we sit on it, we feel a bit proud, right? You drive a luxurious car, you see it, you feel a bit proud. This is a different type of luxury. This is now, imagine, maybe you should imagine like this. Imagine the most poorest person in the world. Take them and then bring them, imagine the most richest person with the most rich and lavish room. How would that poor person feel sitting there? They would be sitting on this incredibly massive palace in this extremely lavish gold, pearl, ruby laden room with chandeliers and couches of silk. There would not be any scent of ujub. And if that poor person was told that the king has done your ikram, his dhul jalali wa ikram, so then that poor person would be overwhelmed with love for that king and humbled by that king. It's in that sense that they will be reclining. They won't be wearing silk in Jannah. They people wear silk today. They won't have fancy luxuries there in the emotional way that people have it here. This will be the Dain, the Fazl, the Karam, the Inaya of Allah SWT and they will be in there just amazed at the hospitality and Karam Allah SWT is giving them. It's in that sense that they are lying on this silk. Right? It's very different. It's not the way that our women do their interior decoration at home. Not like that. Not a sense of self-enjoyment. Like that poor person who is just being honored in ways that they cannot fathom, that they can't understand, that they could never have imagined, that they cannot describe. And then they're overwhelmed by that honor. That is the sense that the people of Jannah will be reclining. Alright? Then, uh, the second part of this ayah, verse 54 is that the fruits of the two gardens that were just mentioned above, they will be close, will be near at hand. Literally, that's the better way to translate it, that they will be close and near at hand. What does that mean? It means that they don't have to venture anywhere for anything. Everything is miraculously within reach, within range. Every bounty and blessing is intimately near to them. There is no bo'od. They're not ba'id from anything. Everything is karib for them. So it, what this is mentioning basically, the vast expanse of Jannah, right? Which we mentioned once here before, the Apostle said the smallest Jannah is ten times the size of this earth. Even notwithstanding its vast expanse, all the netmas are being jo- enjoyed instantly. You see, let's say if I gave you all of planet earth, that you would say, well, how I cannot enjoy India and China and Australia at the same time because they're so far away. So what this is mentioning, this is a ishara, that no matter how vastly wide the expanse of Jannah is, all the netmas will be enjoyed simultaneously. 
Allahu Akbar. This is one of the miracles of Jannah. Something that we cannot imagine and fathom and understand in a rationalistic way. So everything will be near at hand. Every single thing will be near at hand. Okay. Then which of the favors of your Rabb will you deny? Our next is mention of another bounty and blessing of uh, Jannah, which is verse 56. And in those gardens, now here you have, interestingly, you have a switch here. Here, I don't know if I can just a bit, but up till now you had fihima, 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 in the two, in the two, in the two. Now you had fihina, fihina, right? Now, why is you have this switch from the two gardens to the multiple gardens? So the ulama have written about this, that basically the notion that... Uh, well, okay, one have taken that fi hinna to mean gardens in a plural sense. Others have taken the hinna to mean on those carpets or those beddings uh, or on those silken laid bichawas upon which a person will be. Uh, what will they have? They will have qasirat tarfi. And you can translate this as you will have maidens. They will be maidens who restrain and lower their gazes. And they are such that Lam yat mithunna in sun kablahum wala jan that no human has ever touched them and no jinn has ever touched them. Right? Uh, that's a Kenai way to say it. Uh, but yeah, I mean what it means is maybe in a fancy way you could say no human or jinn has ever deflowered them, no human or jinn has ever touched them. Alright? And now this is yet another, so this is the basically, and there's, and there's going to be another few verses about this. So these are the maidens of paradise. So they won't be human beings. Uh, these are creatures of Jannah, created by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And a lot of mention of this in the hadith. Uh, a lot of mention of the women of Jannah in hadith. Uh, I've just mentioned a few of those Hadith for you. In the Sahih Bukhari, in Kitab Badul Khalq, Baba Maja fi Sifat al Jannata wa Annaha Makhluka. This is Sayyidina Rasulullah, he says, It's a long hadith, but the Prophet has mentioned. that the faces of the first group to enter into Jannah will be so bright that they will shine like the moon on the 14th night. Surah Al-Kamri Laylatul Badri, which means the night of the full moon, right? And then the faces of the next group will come and they will be shining like the stars. So less, I mean, obviously, scientifically, the star is much more than the moon, but in terms of what you see in the sky, the moon is much more brilliant than the stars. Then the Prophet said that for each and every single one of them, uh, that each and every one of them will have two wives uh, from the women of Jannah. And those wives will be so beautiful that you will be able to see mukh you will be able to see their 
marrow of their bone, they will be so clear that you can see the bone marrow of their shins, uh, even underneath their bones and their flesh. Another hadith in Tirmidhi, the Prophet said that the women of Jannah, and these uh, maidens or hood of Jannah, will wear 70 sets of clothing, and even through all of those colors and clothing, the marrow of their bones will be visible. Then, and uh, this is the minimum that has been mentioned in this hadith, and other hadith, the Prophet has mentioned many other numbers, uh, and then Allah knows best. Um, a person will get uh, this blessing like all the other blessings of Jannah <coughs> according to their amal and according to their taqwa but there will be levels of blessings uh, in Jannah alright In which of the favors of your robe will you deny? So what does it mean that they will appear as if they are like rubies and pearls? Now earlier you saw that we had translated marjan as coral. That's why I told you that marjan can also be translated as a large pearl. So it means that these women, uh, these maidens of Jannah will look like rubies and pearls. But some may still translate it as rubies and corals. Uh, some commentators have said that this means that their faces will be like rubies and their bodies will be like pearls. Others have, anyway, there are many, you know. Um, just a second one is that the luster of a pearl, but it's opaque. And the beauty of a ruby is that the, the beauty of a pearl lies in its luster, which is opaque. And the beauty of a ruby lies in its shine, which is transparent. So both in a sense of transparency and in the sense of non-transparency, they will have this extreme beauty. Then which of the favors of your Rabb will you deny? And this itself is viewed as an incredible eye of the mercy of Allah subhanahu ta'ala. That he says in Quran, Hal Jazal Ihsan illal Ihsan because really whatever we do, we cannot view that as an Ihsan, whether it's in the literal Ihsan sense and nothing we do is really virtue or noble or excellent or beautiful, but it is meant in the other sense it is more commonly is in Urdu, but that sense is meant here as well, that we've done Ihsan Allah Swantala. Literally Allah is saying here that can the reward of good be anything other than good? And it is it, can it be mercy that Allah Ta'ala is saying that whatever little amal we did, that Allah Ta'ala is calling good in Quran. Certainly what He is giving us in Jannah is worthy of being called Asan, but whatever we did on this earth is completely unworthy of being called Asan. So, hal jaza'ul ihsan illal ihsan. This ayah, even some Mufassirin have viewed this ayah to be the most mercy ayah in Quran because Allah Ta'ala is equating His fazl and karam for us in Jannah, that same word, Asan, also is using the same word for whatever amal and whatever petty acts we may be managed to do in this world. Hal jazal Asan illal Asan. And certainly, as you know, then this ayah has a more broad meaning, but maybe not go into that right now because it will spoil our flow of Surah Rahman. But just generally, our deen teaches us that if somebody is good for you, you should try to always return them with nothing other than then good. So then which of the favors of your Rabb would you ever, ever deny? Right? And this, uh, another meaning of this word, Asan, relevant to this, is that Sayyidina Rasulullah says, I'm in a hadith in Bukhari.
Bukhari Muslim said when the angel Jibreel asked him that what is Esan? So the Prophet said that Esan is to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as if you see him. And if you see him not, know that he sees you. So this notion of Esan, uh, really, I mean, you could think about it this way that it is referring to our relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? So we need to have Esan in our relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Yes, husne amal, good deeds. Also in our outlook with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. As Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, could say, Ana in the zanni abdibi, to have husni zan with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, to good deeds, to have a good opinion of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, to do Esan, to do good with others. Right? And Sayyidina Ali he mentioned that in terms of ibadah, so then there are three types of ibadah as some Imam Ghazayra cited that one is a person who is like a slave and that is the person who worships out of fear of hell. One is like a merchant and that is the person who worships Allah Ta'ala to get Jannah. And the third is like a free man, a person who is completely free but they worship only to out of the love and to out of their love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and to get Allah ta'ala's love. So you need to have all three. The first one is fear, the second one is hope, and the third one is love. So we do ibadah out of all three, out of fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and his punishment and Jahannam, out of hope in Allah Ta'ala and hope in his mercy and hope in Jannah, and third, purely out of our love for him and wanting to make ourselves Pleasing and beloved him, Qati Nazar, from any concept of Jahannam or Jannah, we worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for all three of these reasons. And that's what some Mufasrin then wrote that person who has all three, that is called Asan. So, one meaning of Asan, the hadith, worship Allah ta'ala if you see him, or if you see him not, know that he sees you. That also is referring to taqwa and being aware and conscious of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala all the time in the unseen, that that person who loved and worshipped Allah Ta'ala in the unseen, they had ihsan, that Allah Ta'ala is giving them this unseen ni'mas and bounties and blessings, this unseen jannah that they had never seen before. And that is the notion that we never saw jannah and are worshipping for that jannah. We believed in that in an unseen way. Okay, verses 62 to 77, and then there's the concluding verse 78. But verses 62 mention, if you will, a slightly lesser uh, level of Jannah. But when you look at his description, it doesn't really seem uh, to be much uh, less. But because these are the words, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, so normally that is the way it is translated that lesser than these two gardens are another two gardens. Right? But, uh, and this is, you know, so like your translators put in parentheses for the second category of God-fearing and some have r- done rupt with this when we do Surah Waqiyah inshallah that they're the Sabiqoon Al-Awwaloon Muqarrabun and then there's the Ashab Al-Maymana Yini Ashab Al-Yameen also they're mentioned. So there are two categories broadly of the people of Jannah whereas the people of Jahannam is one category Right, the people of the left. So some have said that the description of Tanah was for the Asabikun, for the foremost, for the higher level of Jannah. And the description coming now onward is for the Ashab al-Yameen or Ashab al-Maymana, for the people of the right hand. So this is a slightly lower level of Jannah. So we've been doing a Hima and slightly less than this are two other gardens. Another way you could translate this is that Duna Himam means and besides these two are two guards of he's taken the besides to mean for others, but you could also say that everybody in Jannah gets those two and besides that gets two more. 
But the predominant of seer is that that those two jannas were for a high level and this is for a slightly less level. So here Allah just mentions What does this verse mean here? It means that this itself is incredible favor of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that His infinite mercy in Jannah should only have been for the foremost and for the sabakun. The fact that He has no allowed another category to go in Jannah who are not the highest level of muttaqeen, not the highest level of siddiqeen, not the highest level of muqarrabeen, not the highest level of or awliya, but he's made a second level, right, for maybe just mu'mineen, right, so that itself is a mercy and favor and bounty and blessing of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And number uh, verse 64, Mudhamatan, and this means that both of those two gardens that we're now talking about, another term, are deep green. Deep green. Now, again, remember there there was a lot of branches, so that it, it, it's difficult to see the difference in nuance, right? But there was, and this is deep green, this is also an indication of foliage, right? And plantation and vegetation and being lush and verdant. Uh, so, deep green so then which of the favors and bounties of your rub will you deny and this okay now you had over there I mean we could try but I mean that may, may take a bit too long but they were also Ainan but there they were Tajrian and here they are now again these are different words in Arabic but in English it's very difficult you could call that one flowing, you could call this one gushing, or if you feel gushing is stronger, you could call that one gushing, call this one flowing. Uh, it's difficult to convey it in English. Uh, maybe a word you could use is that they were spouting. Uh, maybe that would be a better word, that those were gushing and flowing, and here they are spouting. Uh, but, you know, uh, the slight difference here. I just you can just say that this one is flowing with slightly less energy and strength than the one before. That's the difference in the Arabic. Slightly less energy and strength. So then which of your favors of your rub will you deny? Then there, what was it? So if you compare verse six uh, verse sixty eight here to fifty two, there was what? Kulli fakiha. Here you have fihima fakiha without the word kul. So here the means that their fruits it can mean a lot of fruits, abundant fruit, but the word kul is missing. So maybe not every single type of fruit. There you had mention of zojan. You had also mentioned that there were pairs of those every fruits. Here you don't have a mention of those pairs. But so that Allah Ta'ala makes it still clear that no, but yibi zabr this jizeh, right? This is also a lot of fruits. Allah mentions the two master fruits, wa nakhlum ruman. So nakhl is the date, right? And ruman is also like a king fruit for the Arabs, the pomegranate, right? So in that there will be date palm trees as well as pomegranates. So then which of the favors of your Rabb will you deny? And verse 70, so there also you had, uh, verse 56, you had the Qasirat al-Tarf, you had those um, maidens of Jannah whose gaze is lowered and averted from everyone and no one has ever touched. In 70, what do you have? Fihinna khairatun hisan. Hisan, and you have in them khaira, I mean, you know, you can translate this as khairat, marvelous or wondrous, 
uh, women, right, good is too soft, I think. Here, khair means more than good. It means that they're marvelous, uh, I would say. And hisan is actually mubalagha of husan, so it means extremely beautiful. You could say stunning, you could say gorgeous, right? These could be words that you could use for this. So that that is also a blessing that is there. So you can see the rough between there and here and Fabiyyadaban and then which of the blessings of your rub will you deny? Hurun Maksuratun Filchyam. So literally it means that they are Hur, again the maidens or the women of Jannah, and they are uh, kept uh, their maksurat, they are sheltered, fil khiyam, and khiyam literally means tents, he's translated as pavilion, and you can say, yes, I mean pavilion is a good way, pavilions, platforms, it's, it, tent doesn't mean canvas tent, tent means a royal pavilion type dwelling, and maksur means that they're protected and guarded and sheltered in those tents, so which of the two favors of your rub will you deny? And the same thing, Lam yat mithunna insun kablahum malajan. So this is the same thing that was mentioned before. Verse 74 is exactly the same as. Where did it go? It was there before. Uh, that means that no one has ever touched them. The same thing that we had mentioned to you before that no, no man or jinn will have ever touched them. Same thing was mentioned for the pours over uh, in that first level uh, that they are untouched or un- they've never been deflowered that which of the incredible bounties and flavors and blessings of your robe will you defy and they will again this notion of being reclining on green cushions and beautifully fine bedding or flooring or beautifully fine carpets that they will be reclining on that and uh, then which of the bounties and favors and blessings of your rub will you deny so here Allah subhanahu wa ends on this significance very important last verse. So there are different levels of Jannah. There are the women of Jannah. Uh, there are all these bounties of Jannah. There is the resting place of Jannah. But here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, um, just like he had mentioned earlier, his sifat al-dhul wal-ikram, now here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is mentioning the ism, that full of barakah is the name of your Rabb, who is Dil-Jalali wal-ikram. And that is why many ulama say that the ism of our Rabb is Allah. What's the name of our Rabb? Allah. What's the name of our Rabb who is Dhul Ikram? But what's his name? Allah. So this ayah is an ishara according to some of us that the ism azam is Allah. And the end of the barakah, full of barakah is the name of your Rabb. And some can also have said that it means the very first because the first verse was but Ar-Rahman. So that is also the name of your Rabb. So Allah subhanahu is full of barakah is the name, yani ar-Rahman of your Rabb, who is Dhul Jalali wal-Ikram. 
Either way here, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying that everything has taken place in Allah Ta'ala's name. All of that stuff in the beginning. Let's start with Allah al-Quran. So Allah Ta'ala taught Quran in His name. Ikra bismi khalaq. How did the process of revelation and teaching of Quran start? In the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Every time we do talawat of Quran, Bismillah in the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You want to do nikah in the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Sunnah, you want to do wudu in the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Every ibadah, everything in this world that is done with the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala end is teaching us that what is going to be baqi, what is it that's going to remain and be steadfast and perpetuate for eternity. Every single thing that is done in His name and for His sake, because His name is blessed, therefore anything that is legitimately done according to His pleasure and for His pleasure in His name, then all of that will remain. And another thing that is mentioned that Allah Ta'ala is concluding here in verse 78, that out of all of Allah Ta'ala's mercies and bounties and blessings and favors that Allah Rahman has mentioned in Surah Rahman and that He's asked us that how could we ever deny them when He said, The greatest of all of those ni'mas is the ism of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that He has given us, that we know His name. This is His greatest gift to us. This is His greatest mercy to us. So, but we have to become people who know not just how to pronounce that name on our tongue, but we have to become people who know how to feel that that name in our heart and that heart that is able to take that name then that heart that is attached to this name then that heart will be attached and will get all of these bounties and blessings that Allah subhanahu wa mentioned as well as the bounties and blessings that he has mentioned in Jannah may Allah ta'ala enable each and every one of us to always do qadr and shukr and never ever deny any one of his bounties and blessings may he enable us to feel the true ilm of Qur'an, bayan of Qur'an, and every aspect of His mercy that He has sent upon us as Ar-Rahman. That concludes Surah Rahman. I'll give you a couple of minutes rest, and then we'll begin Surah Waqiyah, inshallah. Alright, we're going to start now Surah Al-Waqiyah. And these two surahs have a lot of rupt between them. And so it is advantageous, inshallah, to do them together. Claire, uh, I may not have enough time to show you all that rupt. But still, inshallah, there is a barakah and an advantage in doing these two surahs together. Also very important surah of Qur'an al-Kareem. A'udhu billahi min ash-shaytan ar-rajim, bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, iza waqa'atil waqiyah. Laysa Okay, let's explain to this word waqiyah. So the surah, surah al-waqiyah, you can translate it as the event, but when Allah Ta'ala said, إِذَا وَقَأَتِ الْوَاقِيَ means when the event will transpire, when the event will happen. So, الْوَاقِيَ, because it's referring to the Day of Judgment, is talking about Yom Al-Qiyamah. So, one way that you may translate this is actually the inevitable event. And sometimes you can even just translate the word al-waqiyah as the inevitable. And what will waqi happen, what is going to happen, fil that event which is inevitable, inescapable. And so when the inevitable event comes, now obviously it means it's referring to the Day of Judgment, but when it's saying when the inevitable event will take place, لَيْسَ لِوَقْعَتِهَا كَذِبًا There will be no one who can deny its occurrence. There will be none who can deny its happening. And especially it means here that when it takes place, 
So what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying is that look in the day of judgment, or sorry, in this world, you can deny the day of judgment and its advent and its coming as much as you want. But when it happens, when that inevitable event transpires and comes to be, then there will be no one who can deny its happening. There is no possibility of inkar on that day of judgment. There is no atheism, there is no denial, there is no doubt, there is no skepticism. It will manifest itself in such a reality that people will feel that this is the ultimate reality and what would be the state of people khafizatun rafiya so khafizatun means that not necessarily people the nature of that event is that it will be humbling some and it will be raising some it will be abasing maybe it's better as abasing some and it will be raising some others <coughs> alright now uh, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, uh, what does this mean? That because there are some who are raised in this world and there are some who abase others in this world. So this day, obviously, it's Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to abase some and raise some, disgrace some, honor some, punish some, reward some. But the file subject is given as the day, the event itself, because the day and event and coming of the day and the happenings on that day and the judgment and reckoning and accounting of that day is what's going to be the suburb for some people to be lowered and abased and for some people to be raised and exalted and blessed. And also here our sponsor is doing rud on those people who think that all of this is just in this world. No, actually real honor and elevation and being raised will be in the Akhirah on that day. And real abasement and disgrace is not even what happens in this world, but real abasement and disgrace will happen on that day. And this is saying that this is the day that the earth will convulse. You can say it will be jolted. The earth will convulse with uh, a terrible shock. Uh, and that obviously the notion of that shock is a type of earthquake. Uh, and this is when the mountains will be shattered. The mountains will be shattered or crushed uh, <coughs> or crumbled. The mountains will be shattered, crushed, crumbled. Bussa uh, into just complete fine powder, crushed all together in, into pieces. And then what happens is that the bussa, what they are scattered into pieces and dust, uh, they're shattered and crumbled into pieces. Then that remnants of the matters will, mountains will just be like scattered dust. So they will be pulverized into pieces, and then those that dust that is left of the mountain will be scattered like dust. And then wakuntum azwajan salasa. And then each and every one of you, kuntum is you, it means you owe all of humanity, you will be in three divisions, azwaj and salatha, you will be of three kinds, and who are that? So this is what the rest of the, almost all the rest of the surah is about. So the three groups are going to be what? Number one, the sabikun, also referred to as muqarrabun. Sabikun means the forerunners, the most advanced ones in terms of their taqwa and their iman. Muqarrabun is those who are drawn near to Allah Ta'ala. Muqarrib in Arabic means that you draw yourself near. Muqarrib means those who are drawn near by Allah Ta'ala to Him because they had sub 
Makkah. They were the first and foremost in taqwa to Allah Ta'ala drew them the closest to them. They were the first and foremost in haya to Allah Ta'ala drew them the closest to them. They were the first and foremost in sajda, tilawat, ibadah, salah. Allah Ta'ala drew them closest to them. If you want to go back to Surah Rahman, they were the first and foremost in ilm and ta'allam and ta'aleem of Quran and bayan of Quran and living of Quran. Allah Ta'ala drew them near to them. They were the first and foremost in establishing that kist that wasn't with kiss, they established justice, equity, fairness on earth with their other men akhlaq in every way. Allah Ta'ala draws them close towards them. So that is the first group. That is the uh, sabikun and muqallabun. And then the second group is the other mu'mineen who were not the first and foremost, but nonetheless they were mu'mineen salihin. They were people of alladhina amanu wa amilu salihat. Maybe put it that way. And who are the ashabul maymana? Uh, so that's the way it's referred to in this surah. Sometimes it's also called Ashab al-Yameen. means people of the right. The notion was that they get the book of deeds in their right hand. And that Allah has mentioned that in Quran. That they get the book of deeds in their right hand. That is an indication they will go to Jannah. And the third group that is going to be mentioned over here. Uh, is Ashab al-Shimal. And that means the people of the left. Alright. The people of the left, and those are the people who get their book of deeds in the left hand, and that means they are destined for Jahannam. So now verse number, so these are the three groups of people uh, who will be there. Uh, three groups Allah Sponsor is going to make of people in the, on the Day of Judgment. فَأَصْحَابُ الْمَيْمَنَةِ مَا أَصْحَابُ الْمَيْمَنَةِ As far as the people of the right, who are the people of the right? Some commentators have said that Maimana here is Am, it includes the uh, Sabikun and Ashabul Yameen. Generally they're the right, and then within the right there are two groups. And some say no, here Ashabul Maimana means specifically that one group. Which makes more sense because Allah Ta'ala just said there's three groups, and verse 8, 9, 10 are the names of each of these groups. So first, and the companions, literally companions of the right, uh, the companions of the right side, uh, what uh, ma is mm, you can take this ma in two ways ma can be ma istifamia so who are the people of the right and that Allah is going to explain but it can also be ma ashab al maymana can be ma oh, what is it called ma for ta'ajab that how how wondrous or how excellent or how yeah, and for them how excellent and wondrous are the people of the right Washabul Mash'ama and the companions of the left and Ma could again mean who are the companions of the left or it can mean how wretched how wretched and how, how wretched are the companions of the left and third and the foremost they are the foremost the foremost are the foremost you can also say the ones who are in the forefront they will proceed the ones who are the foremost they will be at the forefront and those are those they are those who have been drawn close and drawn near to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala where fi jannatin naim and they will be in gardens of bliss and felicity and happiness and this is a number it means a large number, a fair number, a good number. Min al awwalin from amongst the first generations, wa kalilum min al akhirin. But there be very few people like this from the latter or from the later generations. 
So this it means obviously the very first awalin are sahaba tabin tabai tabin. But where awalin ends and akhirin starts, nobody can really say that for sure. But I can tell you one thing, which I feel for sure, is that we are in the age of the akhirin. <laughs> right? That much I can tell you. Right? When did it stop being awalin and when did the generations end akhirin? The mo- different muhaddisin and muhaddisin have tried to come up with that. Uh, but Allahu Alam. I mean, there's no real way for saying uh, for sure. Um, but there will be uh, a small group of people from latter times and from later times. Few people from latter times and later times. Okay, so who are the Sahaba? Because now afterwards Allah is going to mention the blessings that they will, uh, blessings and bounties and nature of uh, the Jannah that they will have. So from verse 15 to 26 will be the description of the Jannah of the Sabikun. But the question is who are the Sabikun in the first place? Alright? So they are from amongst the people of the right, but they have a greater status than them. So different aqwal. Sayyidina Abdullah bin Abbas said that this referred to the Muhajirun Sahaba. So that even from amongst the Sahaba, he understood this verse to be talking about Sahaba and the Sabakun were the Badri Sahaba, Muhajir Sahaba, people who had been Sahaba earliest and were the foremost except Iman. And if you take that, yes, there are many hadith in which Sayyidina Sallallahu has mentioned, not but there are few hadith where Prophet has mentioned the Fazilat of the Muhajirun over the Ansar and the notions because obviously they made that sacrifice they left their homes and everything in Makkah Mukarma, so they preceded the Ansar in that sense and also there are hadith the Prophet mentioned the Fazila of Badri Sahaba right uh, so that is one possibility Sayyidina Ikrama Ikrama he says that the Sabikun were the means the first to accept Islam right but again you see because you have Kalilum min al so obviously there are going to be people like this from the latter time so it cannot be just Muhajirun Sahaba and um, Badri Sahaba or the first to accept it because Akhri means latter generations much later you would find people like that so then what is uh, another way so Sayyidina Sayyid ibn Jabir says something interesting which may be the one that we will like the best <laughs> This is the, you know, I'll make give another one before I do that one. So the other one is that Sabikun are simply the ones who are, like I already told you, the foremost in taqwa, right? They get subkat. They precede others, are for, foremost from others in terms of all of taqwa and all the sifat imaniya in ibadat and amal saleh. But Sayyidina Sayyid ibn Jabir said that the Sabikun are the ones who make toba the quickest. What does that mean? That whenever they realized Islam, so everybody who's doing amal on deen, at some point they must have had a realization, right? That I have to change myself, I have to follow deen, I have to make my life according to Quran, Sunnah, Sharia, I have to make a life according to Iman, Haya, and Taqwa. And it's not talking about anybody's age, it's saying that the people who did that transformation immediately after the realization, those are the Sabakun. And those who there was a wait between the realization and the transformation came later, but if they eventually do transform, then they will be the Ashabul Maimana. So that's the view that Sayyidina Sayyidina Jabir that they were the first and foremost in Toba. They hastened to repent and hasted to carry out good deeds. Toba and Taqwa were just one, two after, one, two step process. That they made Toba quickly and right after the Toba they didn't willy nilly dilly dally, they weren't moderate, mild dispassionate believers they didn't sometimes do sin sometimes do good no they flipped they flipped 
They were sabikun. They were foremost in terms of their speed between the realization that Allah Ta'ala put as a hidayah in their heart and then their submission to that hidayah, their transformation of their life. <coughs> Some have said that Awaleen uh, refers to pre- Ummahs previous to the, um, the earlier Ummahs from the Prophet Salman Akhirin means the Ummah of Sayyidina Rasulullah But that seems to be very bait tafsir because we know from many hadith that actually the Ummah of the Prophet is the most favored Ummah and will have the most uh, members in Jannah. <coughs> in fact, Sayyidina Rasulullah said in a hadith that they will, of the 120 saf, uh, we don't know how many people will be in that saf, of the 120 rows of people who will enter Jannah, the Prophet said 80 will be from my Ummah and 40 will be from all of the other previous Ummahs. Here then Allah subhanahu ta'ala, Allah and you know, although we are not in any way worthy, but we, Allah ta'ala wants, and yes, Allah ta'ala wants, and we should make dua that Allah ta'ala make us amongst the sabikun. But it cannot be an empty dua that Allah Ta'ala just make me of them. Make me as Allah Ta'ala, make me amongst the sabakun on the day of judgment. But in this world, making me have the sifat that the sabakun would have. Give me that amal, give me that sacrifice, give me that passion, give me that love, give me that haya, give me that taqwa in iman and deen that would make me amongst the sabakun as sabakun. Okay, now to the description, so from verse 14 onwards, like I said, verse 14 to 26, Allah Ta'ala is going to mention. So again you have the rubbed here, what I was telling you was the notion of two levels of Jannah, right? So that we did that in Surah Rahman, there was a level perhaps for the foremost one, the two Jannahs, and then another one. So here again, you, this is the more explicit even, that there are going to be three groups. Here, I mean... If nothing else, this also is an indication of Allah Ta'ala's mercy that there are two groups who go to Jannah and one group that goes to Jahannam, right? So there are more groups on, in terms of the number of groups on the favorable side. So verses... Verse 15. Alright. Allah Surah al they are on woven thrones. They will be reclining on thrones or couches, that may be better, uh, that are woven. What does it mean? They are woven or inlaid with jewels. They are woven and inlaid with gold. They can be woven and inlaid with gold and jewels. means inlaid. We may be, be better, better explain Woven, inlaid, studded. They will be reclining on such couches or platforms or thrones. That's what, that's what they will be. And, مُتَّكِئِينَ alayha مُتَقَابِلِينَ And they will be reclining and resting on them and they will be facing each other. They will be facing each other. <coughs> Why are they facing each other? Well, one reason that some of us said is that because uh, the people of Jannah themselves, uh, how can we say, will have so much compassion and interaction with another that they will never want to turn one's back towards one another. They will never want to have their back towards one another. Now, we can imagine how this will take place, but somehow the dimensional spatiality of Jannah will be structured in such a way that they will always be facing one another. They will never ever have their back towards one another. And here, 
what the ulama of Tizkiyah and Ihsan took from this is mutakabilin meant that if one thing we know for sure is that Sayyidina Rasulullah is going to be in the Sabiqun, right? That if anyone can make it in there and they're always mutakabilin means they're able to do didar of Sayyidina Rasulullah for all of eternity. So this is another ishara that they get to gaze on one another forever. That's why they're facing one another. They will never have their backs to the Prophet ﷺ. You can take this meaning also out of this ayah. So that itself is just one that one of infinite reasons to want to be amongst the Sabakun, but that one reason itself could be sufficient. Yatufu alayhim Yatufu alayhim And then Yatufu means that literally Again, literally it means that they will be circling around them, but it means, so you, you could translate that, they'll be rotating around them. It means that they'll be circled by and attended by, wildan uh, means children, mukhalladun, uh, who are eternal youth, children who are dwelling inside that Jannah forever. You can say immortal children. Alright? Immortal children or immortalized children. <coughs> And it's almost like you can say these are the waiters of Jannah, alright? Because what will they be, be waiting on and, and they'll be circling and attending on them with what? And so they will be attending on them with goblets and jugs, means cups uh, and jugs and uh, goblets and jugs and glasses and cups from fountains. And the notion is that those fountains are flowing with a pure wine. But it's not, yeah, the fount- with the glasses and cups Coblets and jugs are filled with fountains from flowing wine. La yusanda'una anha wala yunzifun. And this we did this for you before, similar ayah that the wine that they will be drinking and the things that they will be drinking, the glasses and goblets, will not uh, literally means that they will not have any they will no they will suffer no headache from that, nor will they be intoxicated, means it won't have any of the negative effects of the wine of this world. And then again, they will be served from those eternal, immortalized, young children or youth who are attending to them. They will be served from a variety of fruits. And they will be able to choose uh, from. Uh, from There will be a vast variety of fruits that they will be served from, from which they can choose. And they will also be the flesh or meat of bird or fowl, whichever one that they desire. And again, they will have the fair-eyed or large-eyed maidens or damsels or women of hoodies of uh, Jannah. Who are like treasured pearls. Uh, treasured means that they are treasured, protected, preserved uh, pearls. That will be their likeness. Like a hidden pearl, uh, they will be like a treasured and hidden pearl. All of the jaza'am bima kanu ya'malun. Again, this is Allah Ta'ala's mercy that He describes it in this way because there is no amal any one of us can do that really would entitle a person to this. But Allah Ta'ala, out of His mercy, phrases it this way, jaza'am bima kanu ya'malun, that this will be a jaza'ah, means it will be a reward for all of what they did for each and every single thing that they used to do. Right? <coughs> And then in that Jannah, they will not hear any love. Love, you can say, even mean simple sound. Mean there will be no vain and idle speech. There will be no nonsense over there. Uh, he says absurd talk. There will be nothing vain and nothing idle. 
nor will there be any ism here can mean sin, ism can also mean blame, so it means here that there will be no ta'athim, there will be nothing that brings them to sin, nothing that incites to sin, means there will be nothing foul and inappropriate there. Ta'athim can also mean there will be nothing, no accusation there in any way, nothing by which they can be accused or blamed, but rather what will happen, illa kilan salaman salama. The only saying they will hear will be the resonant, it means salaman salaman is coming to because it's going to resonate and repeat. So the resonant, repetitive saying of Salaman Salama, peace be unto you, peace be unto you, they will hear that over and over again. So this was the description of the Jannah of the Sabikun. Next is the Wa Ashabul Yameen. Ma Ashabul Yameen. And so because the switch from Maimana to Yameen, this is why I told you some commentators said that Maimana was Am, includes the Sabikun and the Ashabul Yameen. And uh, Ashabul Yameen is Khas. So who are the Ashabul Yameen? That's the next question. So those are, like we said, Alladina Amanu wa Amil Salihat, people who had Iman and who did righteous deeds, whose Tawbah was accepted by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, or that Allah ta'ala sent His mercy to them on Day of Judgment, or even those sinning believers who eventually, after going into the punishment of Jahannam for some terrible sins that they did and they failed to repent of, will then still after being purified and purged from Jahannam eventually make it into Jannah. All of these are going to be amongst the Ashabul Yameen. <coughs> and they will be in uh, gardens uh, of lotus trees. And these are lotus trees. They will be amidst groves of lotus trees that don't have any thorns. Right? Uh, and they will wadillim mabdud, and they will be mabdud is stacked high, or you can say stacked or ordered, uh, and dillin, some have translated as bananas, some have translated as another word, uh, acacia, uh, which is a more fancy English word uh, for this type of fruit. Uh, Allahu alam, uh, what this is, uh, but this is some type of tree. Right, but they will be stacked high one over the other in an orderly way, layers and layers one upon another, and wadilim uh, mamnud and an extensive. Uh, sorry, I skipped a line there. Wadalhim mandud and talh is the word that is being translated either as bananas or acacias, and mandud means in an orderly stacked way. Wadilim mamdud is the shade, and they will be given an extensive shade. Right, that may refer to the size of the trees and the size of the branches. It may also just uh, be mentioning that their shade all over in terms of their Jannah uh, is a place of coolness and a place of shade. So all of these are again descriptions of the physical bounties and blessings that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to give to the Ashab al-Yameen in Jannah. Uh, <coughs> in maskub, and then they will have flowing water, hatin kathira, and they will have abundant fruit, la maktua, and that fruit will never become unavailable. It's never going to become out of market or out of season. It will never become unavailable, means it will never come to an end, the fruit that they will have. <coughs> And it will never be restricted. Uh, they will never in any way be restricted from it. And then they will be on elevated pavilions or cushions or thrones or couches. Either way you could translate that. And then Allah SWT has mentioned we have created the women, uh, the women or the damsels or the females of Jannah as a special creation 
فَجَعَلْنَا هُنَّ أَبْكَارَ And we have made each of them جَخِرَ uh, We've made each of them virgins Means that they were untouched أُرُبًا أَتْرَابًا And uh, these women will be um, loving and beloved There are both ways you can translate this That they will be the most loving uh, Amorous to the husband They will be loving And they will be atraba Means they will be companions You can translate that literally as equal age But the notion of equal age is that they will be companions Right? Um, okay Here when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, okay, the last. Let me finish the last ayah. Uh, all of this is the the ashab al yamin. All of this is the people of the right. Thulatum min al awwalin. This is a large number from amongst the earlier generations. Wa thulatum min al akhirin, and a large number from the later and latter generations. That ayah number forty itself also gives a lot of mercy, because we would have thought it would have been kalilum min al akhirin also. But at least ashab al yamin, there's still a large number of people who will be amongst us, how will you mean, even in latter times. So this, these verses of 35 to 37, uh, some say that this is um, referring to uh, the women, yani the hur of Jannah. Some are also saying that this even refers to the women. It means the mu'minat will be made as a special creation. It means that Allah subhanahu will bestow upon them a special beauty. And there are several hadith that are on this topic. First of all, that uh, a mu'min, a woman, will be... When the mu'minin and mu'minat go to the didar to see Allah subhanahu then when they gaze upon Allah Ta'ala in all of His resplendent beauty and majesty, so the aks of that mean they will get a nur of His jamal, a tajalli of His jamal. And when that mu'mina comes back from seeing Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala, the huris will look at her beauty for 70,000 years. They will be awestruck and mesmerized by her beauty. So the mu'minat will be infinitely more beautiful than all of the huris. This is something that is mentioned in hadith and some have taken in this ayah to mean here that the female creation is created specially means that the women mu'minat of uh, Jannah will be created in a special way okay, another hadith also the Prophet some said that a woman in Jannah will be allowed to take whatever appearance she wants our sheikh sometimes mentions that the beauty parlor of Jannah she can look however she wants whatever appearance features hair height, whatever she wants to be, she will be like that. And her clothes will have 70,000 colors in them, uh, 70,000 layers and sparkles of colors in them. So there is a lot uh, mentioned in Ardeen about that. Uh, and that's why also um, this notion of age will be of the same age. And that is, uh, you know, an hadith about There are different hadith about this, right? Uh, but the point is, is that uh, I think an old woman uh, this is in the Shemail of Tirmidhi this is one of the hadith that was just shown to be some humor so there was an old woman who was a sahabiya sahabiya and Sayyidina Sussam went told her that old women won't enter Jannah and then she started crying and she, I mean, she was about to start crying and then the Prophet then she started crying and then the Prophet then sent somebody after her and told her no the meaning of that was that when you enter Jannah you won't be old and the Every woman who enters Jannah will be made of an age. Uh, and what is this equal age? And so that's in another hadith, in Sussam has said uh, that nobody in Jannah, irrespective of what age we may pass away in this world, uh, the people who will Jannah will be of a median age of 30 years. 
But Allah Wallam, that's not uh, you know, that's not a hundred percent guaranteed report and there are other reports that even have suggested other ages, some have suggested different ages for men and women, uh, Allah Wallam. But at least you get another yet we've given you many things, eighteen, thirty three, forty, so now the age of thirty. Uh, some of you are approaching if the age of 30 is the age of the Jannati some of you are me we're past it some of you are well past it some of you are still approaching it right uh, so but the point is that they will be extremely attractive and beloved to their husbands uh, so that is another way to take this so, uh, verse and again you can take this simultaneously it could be referring to the women and it can also be referring to the whores but means they will, when I said that they're loving and beloved so they will be uh, both loving and beloved to their husbands verses 41 onward are mentioning now the third group and the people of the left how, who are the people of the left? But again, it really means that how wretched ma for ta'ajab that and the people of the left, how wretched are those people of the left? And here again, like in Surah Rahman, Allah Ta'ala had mentioned, uh, there Allah Ta'ala mentioned the punishment of Jahannam first and Jannah second. Here Allah Ta'ala mentions these first two first. This is also an ashar of Allah Ta'ala's dawah, his asal dawah is that a person should become amongst the sabikun. Second is that if they can't become amongst the sabikun, make themselves amongst the ashabul yameen. And that is the asal categories Allah Ta'ala wishes that there should be. And if a person doesn't respond to Quran, deen, have iman, haya, and taqwa, then the last and the last resort is that they would end up as Ashab al-Shamal. And then for those who are disbelievers and mushrikeen, munafikeen, kuffar, they're also in the Ashab al-Shamal. So here Allah is going to mention some of their <coughs> punishments in Sayyid Jannah. Number one, fi samumin wahameem, that they will be in a scorching wind and a boiling water. So in addition to the fire of Jahannam and the boiling water we mentioned, on top of that there will also be a wind. Now a third source of heat that will be coming over them, which is the scorching wind. And And what this literally means is that they will be living in the shadows of black smoke. Uh, Yeah, I wouldn't call it shade, really they will be in the shadows of black smoke. So what does that mean? That they will be in a darkness. They will be in a darkness. And... All of that will be what? La baridun wa la kareem. And it will be neither barid nor it will be kareem. Barid literally means cool. And cold, cool, it also means refreshing. It will be neither cool or refreshing nor kareem nor would it be hospitable in any way. It would not be a hospitable or a graceful, gracious place to be in. But earlier, what does Allah say about them, about the Ashab al This is something that we should be scared about. إِنَّهُمْ كَانُوا قَبْلَ ذَلَكَ مُتْرَفِينَ That indeed these people before that, they had been granted good things in life. They were affluent and well off in this world. So this is an ishara that yes, many people, because it doesn't mean every person who is wealthy or affluent will end up in Jahannam, but it means that uh, earlier they were in this affluence and this luxury. And yet have وَقَانُوا يُسِرُّونَ عَلَى الْحِنْثِ الْأَذِينَ Yet despite that, I mean, what does that mean? That in spite of that, they should have, that Allah Ta'ala gave them so many bounties and blessings, they should have been grateful. But instead they had all these luxuries in this world. And Waqanu is again for istimrar, they ever used to, they used to persist in terrible sin, azim sin. 
Hence literally means Hanit is to break an oath. So it means they broke their pledge with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that the Abd Rab covenant, they broke that sacred covenant with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and they broke it al azim they broke it in a terrible, tremendous way. So the Ishara means that they persisted and they used to do terrible and major sins. And on top of that, then they used to say, Wakanu <coughs> Yakuluna and they also used to verbally Deny Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. mitna wa kunna turabu wa idaman. And is it that we will die, and after we die, that we have become dust or sand, or we become bones? Is it really a inna lamab uthun? Will we really be resurrected? Awa aba una, awa aba una And they said, and what? And our forefathers will also be resurrected. Kul so say to them, Nabiyyakinuzam, inna al-awwalina wal-akhirin, that indeed yes, the answer to your question is, is indeed yes, and you will all be resurrected. Al-awwalin, the earliest, the most earliest, first and foremost ancients of your forefathers, wal-akhirin, and all of your latter forefathers, all of them will be resurrected. And what will happen? They will all be lamajmu'una, they will all be gathered. They will be gathered all together ila mikati yawmin ma'loom. And they will be gathered for the mikat, for that meeting on that appointment and known day. They will be, and you can also call mikat a deadline. They will be appointed for that deadline or for that fixed time on that specific, specified day. ثُمَّ إِنَّكُمْ ثُمَّ إِنَّكُمْ أَيُّهَا الظَّالُونَ الْمُكَذِّبُونَ That indeed you, you are the ظَالُونَ people of the Lada, people who were deviant, astray and lost and مُكَذِّبُونَ and you were deniers and falsifiers and lying about the revelation of the Prophet لَآكِلُونَ مِنْ شَجَرٍ مِنْ زَكُونَ and surely you shall be eating uh, and you will be consuming from the tree of Zakum. And this is something that we had done for you earlier about this tree and the fruit of the tree and its bitterness and that it even raises up in uh, exist in Jahannam and how its food, f- food and fruit will be thorny and it will pierce the throats and it will sever the innards and the guts and then what will happen on top of it and then they will drink scalding boiling water on top of that and and they will drink like thirsty camels and say alheem is uh, in Arabic literally that rabid camel who is uncontrollable because of their thirst so this they're saying that even though that water is boiling and bitter or it's pus or whatever it is, they will still drink it like as if they're in a frenzy of thirst, like they're in an unquenchable thirst. So they will keep drinking it. And this will be their their nuzul is their reception. This is how they will be received. This is the yeah, this is the way they will be received on the day of judgment. Here, I mean, all of this is self-explanatory. Nothing much to comment over here. Uh, again, may Allah SWT save us from ever becoming amongst such people of the left side. May Allah SWT save everyone in humanity from being there. May Allah SWT put in our heart that concern that no single person in humanity and definitely no single person in our ummah should ever be left to their own or to go so astray or to commit so much sin or to become so distant from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that they would end up in such a lot and with such an affair. نَحْنُ خَلَقْنَاكُمْ فَلَوْ لَا تُسَنْدِكُونَ So Allah says that 
we created you why do you not accept why do you not testify why do you not acknowledge that to be the truth why don't you believe in that so then Allah Ta'ala says that do you not see the seed that you emit uh, and the seed means the seed of life the seed or his drop of semen that you emit that you issue for or are you the one who creates the children I mean it means the fetus the embryo is it you who's created the child or are we Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala the creator نَحْنُ قَدَرْنَا بَيْنَكُمُ الْمَوْتَ and indeed it says we have decreed and ordered and appointed death uh, in times of death amongst you and uh, we will not be preempted we will not be preempted you cannot preempt Allah Ta'ala's decree in anywhere you cannot do subkat you cannot outstrip overtake you cannot preempt his decree and we cannot be preempted Allah Ta'ala says that we can replace you we cannot be preempted, death will overcome you. And what does it mean that when you die, you are replaced, right? Literally, as Allah says, we will change your amthal, we will change your images. It means we will replace you with another creation, the like from you. And as far as you are concerned, we will recreate you and resurrect you in the Day of Judgment in such a state that la and something that you have no knowledge of, alright? means that you're supposed to believe in the resurrection but you don't realize, you don't have knowledge of what an intense resurrection and that intense creation it will be. وَلَكَدْ أَلِمْتُمُ النَّشَةَ الْأُولَى And indeed you have proper knowledge about the first creation, your original creation it means when you were originally, you know, you were born on this earth uh, and uh, however uh, so why do you not take heed from it? Why don't you take a lesson from that? That do you not see? Uh, that tell, tell Allah Ta'ala says that now do you see the seed that you plant, the seed that you sow, the seed that you plant? Is it you who plant it and make it to grow, or are we Allah Subhanahu Taala the one who is? making it to grow. So the notion is here about the harvest, it's an agriculture and an analogy that when you plant the seed, it's not you just it's not you who make it grow, it's Allah Subhanahu who makes it grow. <coughs> if Allah Ta'ala says if we wished, Lajalnahu Hutaman that we would have made that seed disintegrate into dust. Fadaltum tafakkahun and then you would have been bewildered and you would have been uh, confused about what happened and how come that seed doesn't grow. Inna lamugramun, and then you would say, okay, this is a difficult word to explain. You can say that this is mean that you will be dispossessed, or you would be disowned. Uh, you would have been left empty, right? Uh, he's translated as you'd be deprived. Yeah, so dispossessed, made empty. You would be uh, totally deprived. Uh, laden with debt, totally deprived, means that uh, <coughs> yeah, that you will feel that you have been burdened, 
and are taxed uh, and however you would realize that you are totally deprived. So what is this burden? It's referring to number one, the shame uh, that a person is going to feel. Uh, second, uh, they're going to feel mahroom uh, because they will have lost out. So one meaning is here literally uh, about when if you plant a seed and nothing happens, so you would have felt the burden that you paid for the seed and you planted the seed and nothing came of it. But it also means, it's a kanai also for the Day of Judgment, that the unbeliever will realize how mahroom they are on that day uh, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala planted the seed of iman in the heart of everyone but if they don't let that seed grow uh, then they will become mahroom on that day. Then tell me about the water that you drink. Is it you who caused the rain to come down from the clouds? Or is it us who send down rain from the clouds? If we had wanted, if it was our will and our wish, then we could have made that water that comes down from the sky, we could have made it bitter. Or you can say salty. So why are you not grateful? Why is it that you are not grateful to your Rabb? Then Alta says, tell me about the fire. That do you not see the fire that you kindle, the fire that you light? Do you make antum anshatum shajarataha? Is it you who makes the trees? It means the trees that become the wood that are the fuel of the fire that causes it to grow. Um or is it we who have made those trees that become wood, that become the fuel of the fire that you were able to light? Alright? Alta says that we have made it as a tadkara, we have made it as a reminder, we have made it for you to take heed and take advice from, and we have made it mata'an, we've made it as a benefit and a source uh, for you to, للمقوين, uh, for the travelers. And the travelers here is the notion that literally travelers of the desert or even inhabitant nomad travelers of the desert, but it means somebody who's muhtaj. The kanai is that Allah Ta'ala has done these things for those who are needy. So same thing that we had the ism of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Rahman. Here Allah Ta'ala is going to mentioning his name, that you should do the tasbih of the name of your Rabb, your Rabb who is Al-Azim. Alright. <coughs> so here Allah Ta'ala in this passage mentioned all of the different aspects of creation, one by, I mean many aspects of them, one by one, and asking one by one that you see it, you're using it, you benefit from it. So ask yourself, is it you who made it in the first place? Is it you who taught you how to benefit from it? No, all of this is Allah SWT. He has made all of these things for you. And if He had wanted to, He could have made it otherwise. If He had wanted to, He could have deprived you. If He had wanted to, you could have never even realized how to take benefit from these things. That was the last part about the fire. Sort of mentioning all of these favors, which is similar, that Allah Taala Surah Rahman also mentioned lots of favors, that you should glorify the name of your Rabb. Right? So tasbih means, we may have explained this, but I'll just explain it once again. Subhan means when you do tasbih to declare that Allah Ta'ala is pure and free and above and beyond all flaws and defects and imperfections. And to glorify the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, obviously uh, it, when we say subhanallah, so we are glorifying Him. To glorify His name is to attach our heart and our mind and our life to the zikr of His name. To make everything about Him and His name be the be-all and end-all of our life. Because He is our Rabb and He is our Al-Azim Rabb. 
Now here Allah Subhanahu is going to take a qasam uh, on verse uh, we are now on verse number 75. <coughs> so mawaqin nujum what does it mean Allah says in the, I swear by the place of the setting of the stars this is the literal way you would say this. Now what does that mean? Uh, the place of the setting of the stars because in a sense right especially those who are try to use science to critique the Quran they will say there is no real setting of the star right in the sense the way the sun rises and the sun sets I think I explained to you before here Allah SWT is talking about stars not in terms of their scientific reality but in the way that you perceive them now we have lost this time. I mean, people still know it, but people like me and you are not in touch with this. There were people who could track the constellation of the stars. They would navigate by the position of the stars at night. Why? Because Allah Ta'ala has made the whole universe and Earth's location in that universe in such a way that the pattern of the stars indicates season, indicates time, indicates direction. So people who were able to do that before they had the compass, they could navigate and even tell the time of season by the stars. But what is that? The stars would quote-unquote set when, there was, when the sun would come up and then they would come back in their place, the mawake. So mawake is really, it's not so much even just setting, it's the place of the stars. Right, so and even until you go to planetarium and they can take a picture of the night sky, they will still show you Big Dipper and Little Dipper and you know I don't remember all the rest of them, but the constellations. And then you look at the next day, you're going to look at the same part in your sky to see the same star. So it's as if the star is walking there, not scientifically that the star is in the sky. But even the people in the planetarium are trying to tell you that the stars are in the sky. But they will tell you that in terms of your vision of the sky, there's a fixed place of those stars. That's all it is. The, you know, the people... And I don't want to take that one fellow's name because I've done my best not to take his name for a couple of years, but these Pakistani atheist scientists who twist, they make it sound as if the Quran is unscientific. It's not... The Quran's not making a claim here that stars are literally in the sky. It's not saying that, right? If you... Any... You go to any astronomer, a PhD astrophysicist astronomer at Hayden Planetarium in Chicago, he will also show you the same show in the planetarium about the constellations and, the, and they will say that these stars are placed here and the placement of the stars in the sky is what enabled people to navigate. That's the placement Allah is talking about here. That's it. There is no science that is disproving this ayah of Quran. Allah is talking about our visual looking at the stars in the sky. He's going to have to come up with something better, that fellow, if he wants to try to disprove Quran. Alright? Right? But what can you do? Allah Ta'ala sam ko hindayat dey or jin ko hindayat dey hume us hindayat par. Is the comment the same for me? So Allah Subhanahu okay. So, wa innahu la qasamun lo ta'lamuna azim. And Allah said, this is in fact a great qasam. Now, why is it again? Again, reflect. Science tells you that these stars are millions of light years away. Allah Ta'ala has organized and arrayed the entire universe such that you on planet Earth and people, if there was somebody on Mars, there is no atmosphere, you can't see the stars. 
no other planet scientifically if anybody was to somehow stand on any other other planets you will never see the stars there is no night sky in any other planet Allah Ta'ala arranged the entire universe in such a way that you on earth can see the constellation of those skies it is an azim qasam Allah Ta'ala is saying it's an incredible thing Allah Ta'ala is swearing by the arrangement of the, all the galaxies and constellations of the stars in a fixed place that you can track their placement called constellations and navigate by them on this one planet of the entire universe called Earth. Allahu Akbar. Ajeeb. Right? That's science in Quran for you. <laughs> right? There is no disproving Quran al-Kareem with any science. Alhamdulillah. So all of this, right, so it takes this Azim oath and then also in the Hula Quranun Kareem. And indeed this is the Quran. Quran al Kareem. You saw earlier Quran in Majid, Quran al Kareem, Fikatabi Maknoon. And this is in the preserved treasured book. So that as we have explained to you before, this is the Lawhul Mahfuz, and that is what Allah Subhanahu first inscribed his Kalamullah on that Lawh, and then it was revealed piecemeal over twenty three plus years onto the heart of Sayyidina Rasulullah through the angel Jibreel and other ways. Tanzilum min Rabbil Alameen so this Allah saying it's a gradually revealed revelation from Rabbil Alameen afibihad al-hadith antum mudhinun and do you regard this hadith means this message this narrative this communication do you gloss over it and regard it as something trivial is this a discourse that you take lightly Oh, I skipped uh, verse number 79. La yamassahu illa al-mutahharun That only the mutahharun can touch Qur'an al-Kareem. Only those who are pure may touch Qur'an al-Kareem. Then it is a revelation from Rabbul Alameen. It's something that you should not regard as trivial. You should not take this discourse lightly. What does it mean that only the people of Tahara can touch Qur'an al-Kareem? First of all, uh, it means exactly what it means literally uh, in terms of tahara. Uh, some ulama say that this is also used for that ruling that only people who have been tahara can touch Quran. Tahara means that you must be in a state of wudu, an absence of hadath akbar, hadath askar, an absence of anything that makes you junub, or an absence of anything that requires ghusl, an absence of anything that requires wudu. Second uh, level of meaning here is only people who can touch their meaning, meanings of Qur'an, who have taharat aql who have an aql salim who have freed their mind from all types of false, atheistic, agnostic thoughts. Otherwise, a person whose mind is not pure, he will not be able to even touch, figuratively be able to even get access to Qur'an. Right? Touch is the beginning of access. It can also mean those whose hearts are pure, like Allah Ta'ala in the very beginning, what do we do last year in Surah Baqarah? Mutakin, right? Who is going to get the hidayah from Qur'an? The people of taqwa. Taqwa is a type of tahara, it's the purity of the heart. So only those whose hearts are pure will be able to touch it. Another meaning is, and this is also literal and also definitely meant, and maybe maybe the foremost meaning here, is if you link it to Fikitabi Maknoon, so it means the Lohul Mahfuz is such that only the Mutahharun can touch it. So the Mutahharun means the angels. So the original revelation is described in Lohul Mahfuz. Only the Malaik are able to go to the Lohul Mahfuz. Do you regard this Quran as something trivial? I mean, after taking this incredible oaths, and remember again, Surah Rahman, Allah al Quran, Allah al Bayan, right? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, after all of this, 
these surahs, Allah SWT is saying that are you going to take this Qur'an al-Kareem as something trivial, as something to be glossed over, as something that you're going to fail to heed, that your heart doesn't become softened. And here then Allah SWT says, وَتَجْعَلُونَ رِزْكَكُمْ أَنَّكُمْ تُكَذِّبُونَ And Allah SWT, well first this mudhinun, so this idhan, uh, literally idhan dhufun is oil, right? And so when you oil something, you gloss over it. So when you take something, when you gloss over something, this is what Allah SWT is mentioning over here. Or, And then have you... Okay, and do you take your, uh, he's translated, you do take this denial as your livelihood means, are you making your living by denying this Quran? Is your living based on repudiating this Quran? Yes, <laughs> there are some people today, their whole living is just on critiquing Islam, that's their livelihood. They write books for that and they go on TV and make appearances for that and this is their, what they do, that's their life and their livelihood. Here it's also talking about, obviously, the unbelievers at that time, that this is their risk, Right? Uh, and you know, obviously, risk is Allah Subhanahu Taala sends His Adrazak, He sends this risk. So another way then you can translate this verse, eighty uh, two, is that Wataluna riskukum annukum tukadibun. Have you? So one way was that that have you taken this as your means of risk by denying and falsifying the Quran? A second meaning is that have you already set an appointed risk for yourself such that therefore you feel you can deny Quran? You think you're already set and you don't need uh, to accept this Quran al-Kareem. So that's the second way uh, to translate this verse. And again, both meanings are going to be there simultaneously. Yes, one thing since I did this, I should make it clear, as far as those who are pure, it says clear that uh, men and women have to be pure in order to touch Qur'an al-Kareem. Sayyidina Ali said that Sayyidina Rasulullah never prohibited anyone from reciting Qur'an except for the person who was impure. And he mentioned that women who are in the menstrual cycle fall into this. It's unfortunate that certain uh, ideological movements have cropped up today trying to convince people that a woman during her menstrual period can touch Qur'an no, a woman cannot touch uh, Qur'an al-Kareem in her menstrual period because she is not pure at that moment. Yes, uh, you know, uh, as, and anything that is attached to Qur'an can also not be touched. So there's a jilled binding which is sewn to Qur'an. You cannot even touch this, right? This is a Musafi Arabi of Qur'an al-Kareem, all Arabic. You cannot even touch this if you don't have wudu. Although this is no Qur'an on this. This is leather and cardboard and fabric or cloth. You can't even touch this without wudu. If you don't have wudu. That's nisbat. That's the hukum of our deen. That when something is muttasil, then the a'la transmits its hukum to the adna. So this is kal-Qur'an because it's muttasil with Qur'an because it's inseparable to Qur'an. If a person without wudu needs to touch Qur'an for some reason, then they should, for example, to lift it up and put it back, they should take some cloth and they can touch Qur'an like that. Yes, in a very rare exception, uh, some ulama allowed that a me- woman who was mentioning who was a hafidha or an instructor of tahfiz, then if she used gloves or some type of cloth to open Quran, but even then, she's not allowed to read continuously. She can only read one word at a time, halteringly, intermittently, because one word, then that would not count as the hukum of tilawat of Quran. Alright? 
and people should you know, be very careful. You don't want to leave the teachings of Ahlul Sunnah al Jamal on such important things like your tahara. And you don't want to just because some random person tells you that no, no, it's okay, you can touch Quran even if you don't have wudu, you can read Quran without wudu. You don't, that's not the type of ease you want to look for in your deen. Alright? Uh, ease in deen is that mashallah so many things Allah Ta'ala has made halal. Ease in deen is mashallah Ta'ala has not made wudu a shard for so many other ibadat. It's just three salah, tilawa, and tawaf. That wudu is a shard. Otherwise, dua, istighfar, dirji, although it's other to have wudu for all of these, certainly, but they're not a shard. There's so many other ibadat that you can do if you're not in a state of wudu. Alright? Clear? Okay, so let's just finish this surah. Surah al Waqiyah. So we were over here on verse number 83. Falola ida balagatil hulkum. So literally, when it reaches the throat, it means that why can you not intervene when the person's ruh comes up to their throat? Right, in as if you have that ability, and all that moment while you were looking on, and wanahnu akrubu minkum, and we are even near to that person, we are even closer to the him, to him, him or her. however, you were not able to see us. So here, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala is again mocking or chastising the unbeliever, and highlighting that a human being is completely helpless at death, and at that moment the ru is going to come out. Some have taken this literally, that the way the ru is taken out from a person is through their halak. And others have said that no, this is just a metaphor that is leaving their throat. It just means leaving their body. But either way, when that happens, when Allah Ta'ala's hukam comes for that to happen, and as you know, an angel comes to take the ruh from a person's body, then there is no one who can intervene. There is no one who can prevent that from happening. There is no one who can put the ruh back in. Uh, and this is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, that He is the one who will bring and, and bring people to die according to His decree. فَلَوْلَا إِن كُنْتُمْ غَيْرَ مِدِينِينَ And Allah says that if you were exempt, because they thought that they were exempt from the reckoning, exempt from judgment, that they were not going to be punished on the Day of Judgment. So Allah says that if indeed you were like that, then why don't you do what? تَرْجِعُونَهَا إِن كُنْتُمْ صَادِقِينَ Why don't you return the ruh back into the body? إِن كُنْتُمْ صَادِقِينَ If indeed you are truthful. فَأَمَّا إِن كَانَ مِنَ الْمُقَرَّبِينَ And then if he was from amongst those who were brought close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, if that ruh which has departed is amongst those people who are مُقَرَّبِينَ then will what happen? فَرَوْهُنْ وَرَيْحَانَ And this person will have a compassionate or comfortable rest and they will have rehan, they will have sweet sustenance, sweet provision. This is what I told you before that rehan is going to be translated like that. And uh, here also, I doubt he's going to say fragrance flower. Okay, fragrance. Still going with the fragrance and fragrance gardens. But rehan, as I told you, another meaning of that is provision and sustenance. But you can say they will have fragrance and bajannatu naim, and they will have uh, blissful, graceful gardens. Wa amma in min ashab al yameen. So second is what if he's amongst the Ashab al-Jameen. These are the same three categories being repeated at the end, right? Okay, the Muqarrabeen were those Ashabikun, Ashabikun. Second option that what if وَأَمَّا min ashab al-Yameen And what if that ruh was from amongst the people of the companions of the right? فَسَلَامٌ لَكَ min ashab al-Yameen And then he will be told him Peace be upon you from the Ashab al-Yameen Means the other inhabitants of Jannah will also say salam to that person when their ruh is taken uh, and uh, they will get peace from one another. 
that's the Ashabul Mash'amah, that's the people of the left. So what if they are awanda mina muqaddibin, means of the deniers, of the liars, of the fabulous of the deviant ones, the wayward ones, the lost ones, the astray ones. So what if he is from amongst one of those people? Then what will happen for Nuzulam min hamim? Then he will be, his welcome will be that of the, his welcome hospitality, he will be received with that boiling water, what the sliyatun jahim, and then he will be cast in to that burning, blazing inferno. And indeed, all of this, everything that is mentioned in Surah Waqiyah, and this imaging preceding ayahs, that there will be these three groups, and their rules will be treated accordingly in this way. All of that is haqqul yaqeen, that is absolute, certain truth, irrefutable, without any doubt. It is the most true certainty, and the most certain truth. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then ends this surah like he ended surah waqiyah again. فَسَبِّحْ بِسْمِ رَبِّكَ الْعَظِيمِ Same thing, that same verses, verse 74 here, but similar thing of the name of Allah ta'ala in which the same way Allah ta'ala enters, ended surah Rahman, that you should glorify the name of your Rabb and that Rabb of yours is Al-Azim. So this is the end of surah waqiyah. And to glorify Allah ta'ala's name, again we explained that before, that what does that mean? So that means that to recite Allah Ta'ala's name, Subhana Rabbil Azim. One way to do that is in Salah, because in, in Ruku, in Salah, we say Subhana Rabbil Azim. And that is one way we're doing Amal on this. So it means next time we go into Ruku and we say Subhana Rabbil Azim, we should think about Surah Waqiyah, think about Surah Rahman, and that we are glorifying that Rabb, who is the Rabb who revealed to us the meanings of Surah Rahman and Surah Waqiyah. So if we bring these meanings into our feelings and can make them part of our feelings in our ibadah then inshallah ta'ala our ibadah will be more acceptable to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala like we had mentioned Surah Rahman uh, it's fazila that Allah ta'ala will recite it in Jannah it's fazila was that the Prophet called it Urusul Quran Surah Waqiyah is something that Sayyidina Abdullah bin Masood runs on that the Prophet had told that they should recite it every night and this is a story we mentioned to you before that when Sayyidina Abdullah bin Masood well done, was on his uh, was in his final illness. Uh, Sayyidina Uthman, he was Khalifa and Amir Mu'mineen, he asked Sayyidina Masood, is there anything I can do for you? And Sayyidina Masood said, no. And he meant, is there any support I can give you from Bayt al-Mal? And Sayyidina Masood said, no. And then he said, okay, but you're leaving your daughters, and is there something that I can send for them, or can I stipulate an allowance for them? And so he told them that no. He told Sayyidina Uthman that no need for that. I've taught my daughters something, that if they continue reciting it, they will never be in need. And that is that they should recite through Tawbaqiyah every night because I heard my Nabiya Karim Sassam teach. He, taught, he told me this that the person who recites through Tawbaqiyah every night will never ever suffer from poverty. So, this is one fadila of Surah Waqiyah. Alhamdulillah, we completed Surah Rahman and Surah Waqiyah today. Subhanallah <laughs> 
کہ اللہ تو ہمارا رب ہے ہم آپ کے بندے بندیاں ہیں یار بکریم آج ہم نے سور الرحمن کو سنا یار بکریم ہم سب کو جنت کے اندر آپ سے سور الرحمن سن نصیب فرما یار بکریم ہم آپ کی تلاوت سننا چاہتے ہیں ہم اس زندگی میں ہر قرآن کریم کی ہر آیت پر لبیک کہنا چاہتے ہیں یار بکریم ہم آپ کی کوئی بھی نعمت کے انکار نہیں کرنا چاہتے ہمیں شکر گزار بنا ہمیں شاکر بنا ہمیں شکور بنا ہمیں عبد الشکور بنا یار بکریم ہمیں قدر کرنے کی توفیق عطا فرما ہر نعمت کو آپ کی اطاعت میں آپ کی فرمانی میں آپ کی عبادت میں استعمال کرنے نصیب فرما یار بکریم ہر وہ نعمت جو ہم آپ کی پسند کے خلاف استعمال کر رہے ہیں یار بکریم ہمیں ہدایت دے دیجئے اگر ہم ہدایت پر نہیں آتے اس نعمت کو ہم سے چھین لیجئے ہم جواب نہیں دینا چاہتے قیامت کے دن کہ ہم نے اس کا غلط استعمال کیا یار بکریم ہمیں ہدایت نصیب فرما یار بکریم ہمیں وہ جنت عطا فرما جو آپ نے سر الرحمن میں تذکر فرمایا جو آپ نے سورت الواقعہ میں تذکر فرمایا اللہ جنت الفردوس بغیر حساب یار بکریم ہمیں ان جس جہنم اور اس جہنم کے تمام عذاب سے بچائیں جن کا تذکرہ آپ نے سر الرحمن سر الواقعہ میں فرمایا اللہ ان نعوذ بک من کا من النار اللہ اجن من النار یا اللہ رب کریم یا اللہ ہمیں بھی سابقون میں سے بنا دیجئے ہمیں توبہ میں سب کا تفتا فرما تقوہ میں سب کا نصیب فرما ہم کب تک اپنے علم پر عمل نہیں کریں گے یا رب کریم ہمیں علم عمل والا بنا جو بھی علم دین ہمارے پاس ہے اس پر ٹھوس عمل کرنا آسان فرما اخلاص کے ساتھ عمل کرنا آسان فرما اس عمل پر استقامت نصیب فرما اور یا رب کریم تمام عمال کو اپنے قبولیت سے شرف فرما یا رب کریم ہم محرومون نہیں بننا چاہتے ہیں ہم مقبولین بننا چاہتے ہیں ہم آپ سے دور نہیں ہونا چاہتے آپ کے مقربین بننا چاہتے ہیں یا رب کریم جس طرح آپ نے رمضان و مبارک کے مہینے کے اندر آپ نے ہمیں اپنی طرف کھینچا ہے نمازی بنایا ہے روزہ دار بنایا ہے قرآن والا بنایا ہے یہ محض آپ کا فضل کرم توفیق ہے یا رب کریم بس اسی طرح ہمیں لے کر چلتے رہنا اسی طرح ہمیں کھینچ کر رکھنا یا رب کریم ہمارے سر کے بال سے پاؤں کے ناخن تک ہمیں دین میں کھینچ لیجئے ہمیں دین والا بنا دیجئے قرآن والا بنا دیجئے سنت والا بنا دیجئے نبی کریم سسم کی سچی امتی میں سے بنا دیجئے یا رب کریم جو آپ نے سور الرحمن میں اپنے محبت کا اظہار کیا یا رب کریم ہم سب کو اپنے محبوبین میں سے بنا دیجئے اور ہم سب کو اپنے زندگی میں اس قرآن کا بیان اس قرآن کا اظہار اس قرآن کا تجدید اس محبت کا اظہار کرنا نصیب فرما یا رب کریم یا اللہ سورہ واقعہ میں آپ نے اصحاب و یمین کے بھی تذکرہ کیا یا رب کریم پوری امت کو اصحاب و یمین میں سے بنا دیجئے یا رب کریم ہدایت کو عام تام بنا دیجئے ہم فتنہ فساد کے زمانے میں ہیں فسق و فجور کے زمانے میں ہیں باطل کی قوتیں چاروں طرف گھیر چکے ہیں یا رب کریم حق کو غالب فرما اپنے رحمت کی کرنے کی شعائیں ہمیں نصیب فرما 